following radio programs are original broadcasts. While enhancements have been made to the audio for clarity and listener enjoyment, no other edits or modifications have been made. The listener may hear advertisements and notices for tobacco products, alcohol, food, and or services that may no longer be available, nor are they endorsed by whose blind life is it anyway. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everybody. This is Monica, your host for Arts. Welcome. We're glad to have you. And uh, this is my technical guru and co-host, Victor. Hello. And uh, we're certainly glad to have him because I'd sure be in a mess without him. But anyway, um, glad to have you here and hope you like what I've picked out for you today. I'm doing family shows, sort of. I, uh, and I'm going to do, before long, I'm going to do um, an even a different variety of family shows because I didn't have time to work them all in this week because there's just too many of them. Um but anyway, um, just want to say, if you like what you hear, um, hit your like button on Facebook uh, or Twitter or and YouTube. You can subscribe to the channel on YouTube. Any of those formats, you're, you can listen. Uh, if you don't like any of those, you can find us on any of your podcasts. So, um, you, the Anchor and Spotify and uh, QCast, any place where you get uh, podcasts from, you can catch us. So, uh, join us however you like and uh, leave us a comment section and uh, leave us requests if you want you know, anything special, you can email us. Uh, you can email to whose blind life is it anyway at gmail.com or um, you can email me coffeegal62 at gmail.com. You can tweet us at blind whose that's uh, the at sign followed by Blind, B-L-I-N-D-W-H-O-S-E. And uh, on Facebook, it's just uh, Whose Blind Life Is It Anyway? So you can like us there. And uh, so anyway, we want to hear from you. Um, our first show that we're going to do is The Aldridge Family. And it's a, it's, it's the main the main focus is on this boy named Henry and um yeah it's on this uh, he's kind of a pesky little fella and I think a lot of times he kind of means well but he always gets things messed up sort of puts me in mind of Dennis the Menace but I like Dennis a lot better <laughs> I was just going to say that yeah. but anyway um here it is Henry Aldridge and the title is Halloween. <laughs> I think I would have remembered that. But anyway, here we go. Mm-hmm. 
The Aldrich Family, written by Clifford Goldsmith and starring Ezra Stone. Henry! Henry Aldrich! Coming, Mother! You know, ladies and gentlemen, scarcely a day passes that doesn't bring us a letter from some housewife praising Jell-O butterscotch pudding. Many of these letters read somewhat as follows. I've tried just about every ready-prepared pudding on the market, and Jell-O butterscotch pudding is the one for me. Other letters, of course, speak of how easy Jell-O butterscotch pudding is to make, because you simply add milk, cook for a few minutes, and cool. And still other letters tell us how grateful housewives are for the many ways you can serve Jell-O butterscotch pudding. But the big point is its flavor, the warm, buttery, brown sugar flavor of creamy golden butterscotch, just the way you like it, full of rich homemade goodness. Yes, friends, you like Jell-O butterscotch pudding a lot, so just try it, and let your own taste tell you why Jell-O butterscotch pudding is the pudding that thousands call the best of all. If your doorbell rings tonight and you answer it and find no one there, you remember that this is Halloween and that you too were a youngster yourself. And you might suspect Henry Aldrich of having something to do with the prank because he's a real boy from your own neighborhood. Tonight we find Henry in the Aldrich living room with his friend Toby. <sighs> Gee whiz, am I bored. Same here, Henry. How could a thing like this happen, Toby? It's Halloween and the two of us are dead broke. Gee, I thought I'd never live to see a thing like this happen. Wouldn't you think, Toby, that there'd be at least one thing a person could do on Halloween without its costing money? That's what you'd think. How about going over and getting even with Mr. Tarbell for what he did a year ago? How? Well, we could think of something. I'll tell you what. If we could get his front steps loose from the porch, we could hide them. No, Toby. But, Henry, then when he comes out and starts to go down the steps, he'll wonder where they are. Who will wonder where what is? Oh, is that you, Father? You are not going to touch anyone's front steps. How do you know about that? I'm psychic. Halloween or no Halloween, you boys are not to touch any private property. Henry, are you in the living room? Yes, Mother. Gee whiz, Father, Toby and I don't want to just sit around and look at each other all evening. How would you like to have me make some candy? Mother, candy... Everybody else is out doing things, and we sit home and make candy. Well, if you'd planned ahead, you'd have enough money to go to a dance. I did plan ahead. I told you several weeks ago that my allowance is inadequate. Yes. Henry, what do you say we get our hats and go out for a little stroll? All right. You aren't going to play any practical jokes on anyone, are you? Oh, oh no, Mr. Aldrich. We're just going out for the fresh air. And maybe ring one or two doorbells. Henry, you're not going to ring any doorbells. But, Mother, what harm can come from innocently ringing just one doorbell? That's rung 50 million times in the year anyway. Because most people don't like it. Henry, the minute you begin to trespass, you're liable to run into trouble. Father, name one thing that could happen from sticking a pin into a doorbell. Aside from the fact that it's going to ring for a while. I'm not going to argue. Toby, I don't think I'll go out. No? Oh, year. Ever since way back, I've been looking forward to tonight. And now it's here and I can't even stick a pin in a doorbell. 
Sam, if Henry didn't actually stick a pin in it, couldn't he ring just one bell? It's entirely up to you, Alice. All we do is ring it and run, Father. Don't look at me, son. I'm only your father. I don't see what fun there could be in it. At least my whole year wouldn't be ruined. Well, could you ring a bell where no one is home? Mother. (laughs) All right, if it'll make you any happier, go out and ring one bell. We can, Father? We can? Toby, come on. Okay. I don't see what fun you'll get from it. At least we can say we've done it. Henry, I've got an idea. What? My folks didn't say I couldn't ring more than one. I'll tell you. I'll do the ringing and you do the running. Okay, let's ring Mr. Edwards' bell first. John? John Edwards, are you out there on the porch without any hat on? I am. I was just out to look at the car. Someone has taken the battery out of it. Who do you suppose could have done a thing like that? Oh, some Halloween hoodlum. I tell you, Phoebe, this town has reached a nice state of affairs. Well, come in and close the door before you catch pneumonia. You know what I think I'll do? I'll just wait inside the door and see whether anyone comes back. I'll get my cane, too. The next boy that comes up on this porch is going to get the tanning of his life. Yes, dear. Toby. Toby. What? He's going in. Come on up on the porch. What were they talking about, Henry? Search me. Let's write a note and pin it to the door. Okay, got a pencil? No, here's my fountain pen. Listen, Toby, let's just ring the bell and run. Let me ring it. No, Toby, this is the only one I can ring. You can ring the next one. No, besides Mr. Edwards was my idea. Here we go, Toby, I'm going to ring it. Do you hear anyone coming? No, I'd better ring it again. Somebody's coming. Run, Toby, run. I am. Stop there, stop. Oh, John! Quick, Toby, duck around the side of the house here. I'm with you, Henry. Stop, do you hear me? Stop nothing. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. What was that? I'm all right. Just knocked over an ash can. Come on. Stop back here for this great robber. There goes Mr. Edwards over it. Toby. That'll help. If I catch you, I'll turn you both. Come on out through these trees, Toby. If he catches you, Henry, don't give your right name. Whose name should I give? Take one up. What was that? That that was Mrs. Edwards. <laughs> Look, Toby, here's a hole or something we can hide in. Here, where? Right here in the ground. Oh, gee whiz, wait, Toby. What's the matter? It's an old wall. It's an old well. Well, this is a nice time to tell me. What's the matter? I dropped my fountain pen in it. Toby, he's coming. Toward us? He went right on. Boy, that was close. Let's beat it, Toby, and get out of here. But, Henry, I dropped my fountain pen. That's so important. My mother just bought it for me. Gee whiz, I can't go home without my fountain pen, Henry. How are we going to get it? It's way down at the bottom of the well. Well, there's an old chain here. It's hanging right straight down. Is it fastened here at the top? Sure. Right to this piece of iron. Wait a second. I'll roll up my trousers. You better take them off, Toby. Then you won't get them wet. Sure. And hold my coat, too. John! John! Yes? What is it? Did you find them? No, not yet. Toby. Did you look in the shed out beyond the well? I'm just coming from there. Well, come back in the house, then. All I can say is they must have disappeared right into the ground. It's okay, Toby. You can go down now. Look out while I go over the edge. Are you sure you can get up again? Why not? All I have to do is hang on to this chain and climb right up the side. So long, Henry. Hang on. Hang on tight, old boy. Gee whiz. What's the matter? 
Toby, what's the matter? There's something tied partway down on the chain. What is it? It's an automobile battery. A battery? What's it doing down there? How should I know? And the chain ends right here. It does? Can you jump the rest of the way? What do you mean, jump? It's so dark down here, I wouldn't know when I got to the bottom. Oh, here's the trouble. It's up here. Some of the slack is hooked onto a bolt. I'll see whether I can loosen it. Let it out easy, Henry. Don't worry, Toby. You don't think I'd let you fall, do you? Toby. Oh, Toby. Toby, where are you? I thought you were my friend. I couldn't help it. Toby, can you float? How can you float in four inches of water? Won't you get your pen and come on up? You're crazy. There's nothing to take a hold of. Stand on the battery and reach. I can't. Well, gee, Toby, I'll have to get you out somehow. I wonder whether I can find a ladder anyplace. Ask Mr. Edwards whether he has one. Sure. Do you think I'm crazy, Toby? Well, hurry up and get a ladder someplace. Look, there's a, the lid to the well up here. Well, what about it? Do you want me to put it over the top so you won't get cold? No, just get me a ladder. What, do you want your pants and coat? Just throw down my coat. Okay, here it comes. I'll get the ladder that's in our garage, Toby. And if anybody speaks to you, don't answer. <laughs> Has Henry come in yet? Not yet. It seems as though it's taking him an awfully long time to ring one doorbell. Do you realize, Alice, this is the first Halloween no one has bothered us? I certainly do. Did you put all the ash cans in? I put them in the basement. What was that? Something out in back. Sam. Sam, it sounds like one of the garage doors. You suppose anyone's getting in there? Listen, dear. Come with me. Where? Let's go out to the kitchen and look through the window. Is the kitchen light on? No. No one can see us. Sam, someone is in the garage. Stand back from the window. Can you see them? Alice. Someone is coming out of the garage with our big ladder. Sam Aldrich, I think that's the limit. I'm going down the cellar stairs here and slip out to the basement door. Well, why not go out the back door? This way I can head him off in the driveway. Shall I turn the light on? No, no, don't turn the light on. I can see quite all right. Sam, what have you done? I forgot I put the ash cans down here. Well, my goodness, dear. Are the ashes all over my cellar floor? Yes, and so am I. Turn on the light. Sam, you better come back up here and get your hat and coat. You want whoever it is to get away? Is that ladder more important than your health? Now come back up here. But Alice, he's already gone out toward the street. In a town this size, Sam, you can certainly track down someone with a ladder. You say the battery was taken right out of your car, Mr. Edwards? Yes, officer. But you didn't see anyone? Not until a few minutes later. Two boys came up on the porch and rang the bell, and I chased them right around here through the grape harbor. Were they carrying the battery? Well, I couldn't say. Well, whoever stole it is going to be apprehended and punished. The young fellows here have got to respect private property. Oh, they don't stop at anything. I even found a pair of somebody's trousers back here. You better take them down to headquarters. Why? Uh, one minute. What's up? Stand back there under this tree. You see out there toward the street... Somebody coming? Somebody with a ladder. He's coming right this way. All right, no. Keep quiet. Keep quiet. And when he passes, I'll nab him. Just a minute there, young man. Oh, gee whiz. Who said that? One minute, I said. Yes, sir. 
asked you, was there something you wanted? Where did you get that ladder? At home. I asked you, where did you get it? I brought it from home. Sure, I did. I give you my word, I did. I did. Oh, so we're going to have trouble with you. Where's the battery? The battery? What battery? The battery that disappeared from my car. I haven't even seen any battery. What's your name? Why, uh... What is it? It's, uh... Harry. Harry what? Harry Ambrose. Where are you taking that ladder? Well, not any place in particular. I just... Just happened to be carrying it with me. Just giving it an airing, eh? Taking it out for a walk. Yes, sir. Well, Mr. Edwards, what do you think we ought to do with them? It's, uh, 90 days for larceny, isn't it, officer? 90 days in jail for taking my own father's ladder? That's what it is. But, but I've got a friend, see, and I... I see, and he has the battery. No, sir, he's in a terrible predicament. Where is he? Where is he? I don't know. I'm looking for him. Oh, you're just going around with the ladder looking for a friend. I know that seems hard to believe, officer, but that's what I'm doing. Well, suppose you leave that ladder here. But I'll get the deuce if I don't take it back home. You'll get 90 days, Harry Ambrose, if you don't put it down. Yes, sir. Now get home, will you? Should have been in bed an hour ago. Yes, sir, only I don't know what my friend will do without me. Gentlemen, this being Halloween, I'd like to tell you a ghost story. The story of Edgar the Gloomy Ghost. Edgar, it seems, was very fond of nice desserts at dinner. But his wife, Phyllis the Phantom, kept serving him just ordinary desserts. As a result, Edgar went around moaning and groaning like this. Ooh, ooh. Then one day, Edgar's wife bought some jello vanilla pudding at the grocery store. And now Edgar is just as cheerful as can be. No longer does he go around moaning. Now he has a warm, likable laugh like this. So, you see, just in case Edgar might drop in, ladies and gentlemen, always keep Jell-O vanilla pudding on hand. It's brimful of tempting flavor, as smooth as rich cream, and extra good when garnished with nuts, marshmallows, or fruits. My own favorite is Jell-O vanilla pudding with sliced bananas. But served any way at all, it's grand. Order this delightful, ready-prepared dessert and start right away to enjoy the luscious flavor of Jell-O vanilla pudding. <laughs> Now, getting back to the troubles of Henry Aldrich. It being Halloween, Henry and his friend Toby set out to ring just one doorbell and come home. However, one thing leads to another until Toby was left stranded at the bottom of a well. And Henry is attempting to rescue it. Good evening. Oh, is that you out there, Henry Aldrich? Good evening, Mrs. Lockridge. Could I borrow a real strong rope from you? A real strong what, dear? A rope. I need about 15 feet of very strong rope. Oh, uh, would a piece of clothesline help any? No, ma'am. I have a friend that's in a well. Oh, well, that's quite a Halloween joke, isn't it? No, ma'am. I'm trying to get my friend out. Uh, well, how did he get in it? He was looking for his fountain pen. Well, why don't you try one of the other houses in the neighborhood? I have. I have. But every doorbell I've rung so far, the people chased me. You don't say so. Yes, ma'am. That's how I got all wet like this. Good. 
goodness gracious, how did you get that way? They poured a bucket of water on me from the second floor window. Well, come to think of it, Henry, we have a good long tow rope out in the car. You have? Yes, sir. You'll find the car right out there in front. Right down the curb a ways? That's right. Okay. If I remember, the rope's a little bit straight in the middle. That's all right. It can certainly hold Toby. Will I find it in the front or the rear of the car? You'll have to look, dear. Guess this is the car. My gosh. That's funny. All right, young fellow. What are you trying to get away with? What's that? Her, did you think I didn't see you? She was let go of my collar. What were you doing in my car? I've got a friend that's in a well. Yeah? But you see, Mrs. Lockbridge gave me permission to open this car. Mrs. Lockbridge did. It's her husband. Well, it just happens to be my car, and I live right here in this house. You do? You mean this other car here is Lockbridge's? And I suppose you're going to tell me Mrs. Lockbridge gave you permission to let all the air out of my tires? Are they flat? What do you think I was watching out the window for? Well, you certainly have my sympathy. Here you are. What's that? It's a pump. Get to work. But she was, I give you my word, all I was looking for was a piece of rope so I could pull my friend out. Maybe you'd like to have me turn you over to the police, my boy. Oh, no. I... Are you going to hook that pump onto the valve? Yes, sir. What's your name? Why, it's, um, it's, uh, which tire do you want me to pump up first? I asked you your name. It's a Harry Ambrose. Harry Ambrose, eh? Yes, sir. Well, your family ought to be ashamed of you. Yes, sir, they certainly ought to be. I'm going in and keep an eye on you from the house. And don't forget, there's a street lamp right here, and I can see every move you make. Yes, sir. If I hadn't been a boy once myself, I'd turn you over to the law. Yes, sir. Oh, gee whiz. Well, I'll be darned. Henry? Henry, is that you pumping up those tires? Father, where did you come from? I'm looking for our ladder. And may I first ask what you're doing? Father, I wish you'd go in and tell the man that owns this car that he has no right making me do this. How did he happen to ask you to? I was opening his car, see. Son, didn't you promise to ring just one doorbell? That's all I did then do. Then not have any excuses. Pump those tires up and take your punishment. Where are you going? To find a family by the name of Ambrose. Of Ambrose? Ambrose? I tracked a boy by that name as far as Mr. Edwards' house. You don't happen to know him, do you? Harry Ambrose. You know him? Well, I think I've heard of him. But he's no friend of mine, Father. Well, hurry up and finish those tires. And then get off. But listen, Father. Hey there. Let me hide behind your car. Who's that? Is that you, Henry? Is that you, Mom? Here, Henry, hold it. What is it? It's a red lantern. What am I to do with it? Just hold it, Henry. I'm in a hurry. But I don't want this, Homer. Oh, so there you are. Who? You with the lantern. Come along with me, my boy. wait until I get even with you, Homer. You got away from him, didn't you, Henry? I got away from him, but look at what he did in my coat. How am I going to get this sleeve back on? Aren't I going to help you get Toby out of the well? Yes. And didn't I get this rope for you? Where did you get it? Isn't it a beauty, Henry? I found it over here on Walnut Street. What I mean, Homer, is whose was it? Nobody's. It was just roping off a new sidewalk that had been laid this afternoon. Listen, Homer, I'm not going to use it. Well, we aren't going to keep it, Henry. It's just to get Toby out. But, Homer, I don't think we should use it. All right, then. All right. Not so loud, Homer. Do you see somebody? We're right here by Mr. Edwards' house. Oh. Come on now, Homer, and follow me back to the well. Why don't you want to disturb Mr. Edwards, Henry? Well, if he's going to sleep, there's no sense in waking him up, is there? Come on back through this great barber. I'm coming. 
Where is the well? It's right ahead here. Someplace. Can't you find it? Isn't that strange? Gee whiz, don't fall in the window. Oh, here it is. Hey, Toby. Toby, are you all right? Toby. Who is that? It's Henry and Homer. Well, you're the only ones that haven't been here before. Who else has been here? Everybody. And they all threw something down. <laughs> the last time it was a bushel of apples. Are you all right, Toby? How could I be? Get me out of here. We're letting a rope down now, Toby. Now here, Henry, I'll help you. Is it down yet, Toby? No. It's coming. Homer, have you got the end? What end, Henry? Of the rope. The end's down here. <laughs> Which end? Both ends. <laughs> well, gee whiz, Homer, if you are in a hell. Toby, throw one end up here. How am I going to do that? Just throw it right straight up. Here it comes. Where is it? Around my neck. Henry, I've got an idea. Look out. What are you going to do? How about dropping this rock down and letting him tie the rope to it? And then throw it up? Now, listen. Don't throw anything more down here. There isn't any more room. Henry, do you think you could hold my hand while I go down part way? How would you get the rope? Well, Toby could tie it to my foot. Sure, and then I'll pull you back up. Well, take it easy now. We'd like it over the edge. Okay, have you got a good hold? Yeah. What's that coming down? <laughs> Don't worry, it's Homer. Don't jump, Homer. What do you think I am? Are you sure you got a hold of me, Henry? Sure. Easy now, easy. I only had something to hang on to. This is a nice time to think of that. Don't worry, Homer, I've got you. Boy, my arm's coming right out. How much lower is it? Wait a second and I'll tie the rope on Homer's foot. You got it? Come on, officer, I think you're off this way. I ain't coming. Oh, gee whiz. What's that? Keep quiet. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Gee, if they had come two feet closer, they would have fallen right in with us. That would have been good. Well, we got you out, Toby, even if we did have a hard time finding my father's ladder. And, Toby, we got you away from Mr. Edwards' house. But I still haven't got any pants, Henry. Well, just walk along as though you were coming home from a party. Boy, is this heavy. Is what heavy? Listen, Toby, what are you carrying? This battery. Well, gee whiz, Toby, what'd you bring that for? I didn't even know I had it. Well, we've got to take that right back to Mr. Edwards. All the way? Sure. What do you think we hold it out for? We get caught with it, we'll get six months in jail. Here, Homer, how would you like to carry it? I don't want it. Let Henry carry it. Toby, don't try to shirk responsibility. Well, you fellas have got to go back with me. I'm not going alone. Come on, then. It was, who's that coming? Where? Down there on the corner. He's coming right towards us. Isn't that a policeman? I think it is, Henry. Let's turn around and go the other way. And that's what I say. No, we'll walk right along as though we were heading for a garage. Sure. Oh, sure. Now our battery ran down and we're going to get it recharged. But I still haven't got any pants. Listen, fellas, look ahead there. Where? There's another policeman. And he's walking right toward us. So long, Toby. Now, wait, Henry. You can't leave me flat like this. I've got to get rid of this battery. Well, put it down someplace. Sure, and supposing he sees me. I've got an idea. You see that car parked there by the curb? Yeah. Well, put it inside. Just dump it through the window. Henry, you've got a head on you. Come on now. We'll hide behind, between these two houses. Boy, if they see us. Okay. Wait for me. Well, hurry up. Quiet. The police are going by. Do you think they saw us? No. They're not even looking this way. Say, fellas, do you know what I just happened to think? What? I left my fountain pen down in the well. 
Say, gee whiz. What's the matter? The car we put the battery in. What about it? Somebody just drove off in it. Yes, Mother. Will you please tell me where you've been all evening? Just out with Toby, fooling around. Well, come into the living room. I've got to make a phone call first, Mother. Hello, operator. Then I'll be right there. Operator, could you get me? It's right here in the book. It's, um, it's Elm 3-6. Henry! Mother, Father isn't in yet, is he? No, he isn't. Oh, hello? Hello, is this Mr. Edwards? Well, Mr. Edwards, this is to inform you that if you will notify the police... To look for a car, number T765, I think. Or maybe it was T5-something. Anyhow, in it you'll find your battery. What's that? This is just a friend, Mr. Edwards, who happened to be passing by your house a little while ago. Henry! Goodbye. Henry! I'm coming, Mother. Well, where's your coat, dear? I just hung it up in the closet. Well, did you ring your doorbell? Yes, Mother, I rang it. Did you find it worthwhile? Well, to be honest, I think I'm getting a little too old to be doing things like that. <clears throat> Where's my Latin? Oh, Alice, is Henry in? Yes, Sam, he's sitting here studying. Where have you been? I found the ladder, but not the boy. Sam, what on earth do you have all over your shoes? That is cement. They laid a new sidewalk over town and didn't even bother to rope it off. Well, don't get it all over the carpet. And what do you think I found a few minutes ago? What? A battery in the back seat of my car. A, a battery phone? Tomorrow morning, Henry, you call up the police and find out who lost it. Hi, Father. And then after you've done that, you can go over to Mr. Edwards and get our ladder. Yes, Father. I wonder why people think Halloween is a time for fun. Aldrich will be back in just a moment. And when you make out the grocery list for tomorrow, friends, be sure to include several packages of Jell-O puddings. They're easy to make, inexpensive, and really delicious. Ask your grocer for all three flavors, Jell-O chocolate pudding, Jell-O vanilla pudding, and Jell-O butterscotch pudding. Jell-O puddings are made by the makers of Jell-O, so you know they're good. Be seeing you next week, I hope. Now listen in again next Thursday evening to the Aldridge family and to the Maxwell House Coffee Time program, which immediately precedes it on most of these stations. A solid hour of sparkling radio entertainment every Thursday night. The Aldridge family, starring Ezra Stone, is written by Clifford Goldsmith. Original music is composed and conducted by Jack Miller. Now this is Harry Vonzell bidding you all good night. It's your grocer, folks, calling up to let you know about our special this week on Bird's Eye Quick Frozen Haddock Fillets. Say what really good haddock it is, too. Chock full of that fresh-tasting, deep-sea flavor. And don't bother to look for any bones, because Bird's Eye Haddock is all clean and bone for you, ready for the pan. Buy Bird's Eye Haddock Fillets tomorrow. 
They're especially low price all this week. Okay, everybody. I'll be interested to hear how you like that one. This next one, it's from a program called Couple Next Door. And for a long time, they had uh, little 15-minute episodes, but I think they became half-hour eventually. Um, the same as and Amos and Andy that you're, you'll hear in a few minutes. They both, both of those... Uh, started out with 15 minute episodes and then he, ch- they changed him and finally made him, made them a full fledged episode and a half hour episode and I think they did her too, the couple next door. Um, it's about a family, um, and uh, a mama and a daddy and a little girl. The little girl's name is Betsy <clears throat> and, uh, the mama's name is Peg, uh, and Peggy Lynch is actually the one who wrote this show, um, The Couple Next Door. And so she played a part named Peg uh, in it as well. So anyway, here we go. The Couple Next Door. Enjoy. The Couple Next Door, written by Peg Lynch and starring Peg Lynch and Alan Bunce. Even if you brush in a rush, New Brisk Toothpaste starts instant action against tooth decay. Brisk up protect you from decay, start instant action right away. Even if you brush in a rush, brisk fluoride toothpaste. The instant it touches your teeth, brisk toothpaste starts to destroy most bacteria that cause tooth decay and mouth odor. So even if you brush in a rush, use brisk, B-R-I-S-K, new brisk toothpaste. wants a dog. Oh. You want a dog, too. Yeah, I want a dog, too. Look, i got to get out of town. I thought I'd take Betsy with me. We'd stop in at that pet shop. You mean buy a dog today? Yeah, sure. Why not? Oh, I'll give you two good reasons. First, I'll be the one who gets all the housebreaking, and it's better to get a puppy in the spring when you can keep him outdoors a lot. Well, spring is better. That's true, but... Second, I love dogs, and I want one sometime, but I think, dear, that Betsy is too young to have any feeling of responsibility toward a pet. And I'll be the one who has all the work feeding him, taking him out every half hour, no, doing the... No, I'm going oh. to feed him and take care of him. Oh, yes, sure, I'll bet. You eat your breakfast now. We'll think about it. Whatever you say we'll think about it, that means no. <laughs> well, you eat your breakfast. We are certainly not buying a dog today. That is definite. <laughs> Now, look, Daddy's got some reports to finish for the office, Rita. You run along and play, will you, dear? Would you talk to 
talk to Mommy again about the dog. Now, look, Betsy, Mommy thinks it would be better to get a dog in the summertime. Why? Why? Well, because a doggy has to be housebroken. What's housebroken? Well, darling, he's got to be trained. A little puppy's like a baby. You know how little babies wear diapers? Puppies wear diapers? <laughs> no, darling, but they don't know any better, and Mommy doesn't want anything to happen to the new dining room rug. For a new puppy can use my bathroom, and I'll give him that. <laughs> Look, sweetie, now you, you, you talk to Mommy. Go on. I just did. She said no. Bessie? Bessie, did you, did you go upstairs and pick up your room? No. Well, every morning we have to pick up our clothes and straighten our rooms, don't we? Mary Lou Kendall does. Well, I don't care what Mary Lou Kendall does. You're six and a half and old enough to pick up your own rule. Whenever you want me to do something, I'm old enough. And when I want to do something like have a doggy, then I'm not old enough. Go on. Run along upstairs. Oh, golly, look at her. Looks as though she'd lost her last friend. I don't know why you both act as though I'm the meanest woman in town. You said yourself, if and when we got a dog, it should be in the summertime. I know, I know, but she wants one so badly. And you want to give her everything she wants every time she asks for it. She won't grow up learning the value of anything. Would you let your feet right on the breast pocket? Yeah. yeah. And this knows I have enough to do without stopping every half hour to take a dog out to train him. Besides that and the smell, he'd probably catch cold. Look. I talked to Betsy before we came downstairs this morning. She is so crazy to have a dog. That I, look, I know she'd take care of, and I think it'd be good for her. I really do. She'd learn a sense of responsibility. Once, she'd feed him just once, and then the novelty would be worn off. And who would wind up feeding the dog? Mother. <laughs> oh, yes, mm-hmm. mother. And taking him to the vet for his shots and his pills. No, dear. This summer, maybe for her birthday in June. Let her look forward to getting a dog. That's half the fun, anyhow, wanting something. Yeah, yeah, I'm afraid you're right. Ad in the paper this morning for Irish setters. Irish setters? You weren't thinking of getting an Irish setter. Oh, honey, it's a beautiful dog. It's a hunting dog. No, no, we don't want an Irish setter. I think a collie. They're wonderful with children. Well, they're all right. You like that long, pointed nose? Well, the good pedigreed collie dogs don't have that terribly pointed nose. How about a French poodle? They're awfully smart and very Oh, no, cute. no, no, no. I don't want a poodle for Pete's sake. I mean, that's not a man's dog. Well, we're not getting it for you. I thought the idea was a dog for Betsy. Well, yeah, sure. How about but... a dachshund? Hughes have one, and she's marvelous with the dog. Dachshund? What's the matter uh-huh. with you? We want to get a big dog. We do not want to get a big dog. You'll be playing with the children outside. Big dogs knock them down. Accidentally, of course. Oh, knock them down. We yeah. certainly want a dog that's some protection, as long as we're getting one. Well, I don't want an Irish setter. The Holberts have one, and oh, I honey, he's to... a beauty, and he is so affectionate. That dog and friendly. Friendly? He's hysterical. He leaps at me as though we were engaged to be married, and you can't sit down without his climbing under your lap practically. And he drooled all over my blue satin suit. Oh, honey, he's oh, wonderful. So mad. Anyhow, I certainly think we ought to have a big dog. I was even thinking of a Great Dane or a St. Bernard. Mm, to eat us out of house and home. You realize what it costs to feed dogs like that? Well, what do you want, a Mexican hairless? Mm, if and when we get a dog. Oh, look at the dust on this table. I don't know where it all comes if from. If and when we get a dog. If and when we get a dog, we should get one that is probably medium size. Very even disposition, good with children. Maybe a cocker spaniel. Oh, no, 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 honey. They're too nervous. No, they're not nervous at all. You're thinking of I am out. thinking uh, of a uh, cocker spaniel. Look no. at the one next door. He tears around like a, like a sputnik. Well, there's time enough to think about a dog. We'll get some books, we'll read up on them, and then when it comes time to select one, we'll know exactly what we're getting. Hmm? We should get a pedigree dog, I think, mm-hmm. even though it's more. Oh, yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. Johnny, look mm-hmm. at the time, will you? I'm going downtown. I'd better go. Betsy! Betsy, come on, honey! Well, I hope my new suit looks all right. Oh, is that what you're picking up? Yeah. I like this here. It's a little big in the shoulders. Uh-huh. Well, your shoulders are a little narrow, I suppose. It... 
Well, they're not too narrow. <laughs> oh, men are so sensitive about their shoulders. What do you want to look like, dear? One of these muscle boys dressed in a leopard bathing trunks? Yes. <laughs> well, I love you the way you are. Get your coat on, Betsy. Now, if you're going to ride down with Daddy. Mommy, mm-hmm. I picked up all my clothes and put my puzzles away. Well, that's a good girl, dear. Can I have a doggy now? No, Betsy. You were a good girl to straighten up your room, but Mommy expects that of you. And someday you will get a dog. Now, your overshoes are in the kitchen. Go out and get them, dear. Go on. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty cute, isn't she? You think that's cute to try and bribe me? Oh, bribe. She's just a baby, for heaven's sake. She doesn't know what she's doing. Uh-uh. You are putty in her hands, and she knows it. Oh, no, I am not. And when you get downtown and she wheedles you into just going by the pet shop so she can press her little nose sadly against the window, don't weaken. Oh, listen. She knows we stand together on things, and we've agreed, that's all, a dog for her birthday. And when parents agree on things, I firmly believe they should stand as firm as the Rock of Gibraltar. We won't even go past the pet shop. Daddy, could we just go past the pet shop? No, Betsy. Now you know that we made a... Go past, Daddy, please. Pretty please. I know we're not going to buy a doggy today, but I could look at him, couldn't I? Well... One day they had some kitties in there, Daddy, and that's what I really want to see, if the kitties are still there. Oh, oh, well, well, this is not about way, and if you want to see the kittens in the window, yes, I guess we can do that. Oh, thank you, Daddy. You're the best Daddy in the whole world. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, Daddy's got the best little girl in the whole world. <laughs> Come on. Now, wait a minute, dear. Wait. Good morning, sir. Uh, something for the little girl? Oh, no, no, no. Thanks. Not today. She just dragged me in to see some kittens you had in the window last week or so. Oh, yes. Well, they're inside now, right over there. Ah, uh, I'll bet they, honey. Look there. There they are. Oh, Daddy, look at this puppy. Look at it. Uh, such a pretty little girl. I have a dog. Yeah, well, we're thinking of getting a one, but not today. You know, we're just window shopping. Well, here's an Irish setter. He's only about six feet. Oh, Betsy, hello there, young fella. Oh, boy, look at that tail, would you? Betsy, look, look at this little fella. Uh-huh. <laughs> I like this one, look, Daddy. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> hello. Oh, boy, hello. What kind of group? Uh, quite a few different kinds, I'm afraid. Frankly, if you're getting a dog, I suggest a good pedigree dog. In the long run, your training is easier, the dog is more reliable. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh-huh. Well, that's good to know. My wife and I both feel we'd want a pedigree dog. Now, here are three collies. I just got these. Oh, Betsy, look at the collies, honey. How much are these? Well, ordinarily, a good collie runs around a hundred, a hundred and fifty dollars. But uh, I think if the little girl has her heart set in one of them, uh, we might do it for the seventy-five. Ah, uh, well, an awful lot of money. Well, it's worth it. It's worth it uh, to have a good dog. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, we'll, we'll think about it. No rush, you know. Betsy, honey, you like this collie puppy? No, I like this one. Well, honey, that's just a mongrel. Mommy and Daddy feel that when we do get you a dog... Oh, they... Daddy, look at him. Look at us. Oh, he loves me, Daddy. Look. Oh, Daddy. And anyhow, he only costs $10. What does that mean? If we don't like him, we can throw him away? Oh, look, he is cute. Now, you'll have to admit that. Well, so far, he's been awfully cute on the living room rug, too. Mommy. Mommy, please love my doggie. 
All right, I know, and I'm licked. Hello, dear. Hello, dear. Oh, you are so sweet. Thank you. Look at that. Well, there you are, Betsy. There's your doggy. Now i got to finish these reports. Got to get them in the mail today. Oh, where's my new ice cake, Mama? Just in the hall closet, dear. Why? Well, we drove up. Jackie and Candy said I could come over, and their mommy would pack us ice cake. Now, just a minute. You've got a new dog. He has to have a box fixed up for it. He's got a blanket. got to be fed. Oh, Mommy, I Oh, darling, it's the first chance she's had to use her new skate. Paper says warmer tomorrow and the ice will melt. Well, I... All right, run along. I'll help you with your skates, darling. And Daddy's got to finish his report. And who winds up taking care of you? Hmm? Yes, I thought so, Miss Judy. We'll return to the couple next door in just a moment. Spend some time with the interesting people who come your way each day on CBS Radio. They'll keep you company while you work, with no thought of interrupting you ever. With music, humor, drama, and news, CBS Radio personalities bring the outside world to you wherever you happen to be. Behind the wheel of your car, or moving from one room of the house to the other, you can still keep in touch with them and laugh at their jokes, hum their tunes, or follow their engrossing day-to-day stories. As a matter of fact, If you listen to CBS Radio while you work, you'll soon discover that chores get done faster just because you're having a good time. Today and any day while you work, enjoy the world of entertainment CBS Radio offers. Remember, CBS Radio is no further away than your radio. And in these days of inexpensive cable models and attractive portables, that's not very far away at all. Are you awake? Yes. 2.30. I know it. Oh, he's so lonesome. Why don't you go down and get him? Down and get him? For Pete's sake, we have got to train a dog from the very beginning. And it just breaks my heart to hear him whimpering. He's away from his family and his friends all by himself in the kitchen. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But if you give in... Poor little thing. Now, look. Honey, the first night is always the worst. If we leave him alone and he knows that's where he stays at night, then we won't have any trouble with him in the future. I know, I know. Listen to him. Maybe he's sick. He is not sick. Maybe he's gotten out of the box and he's gotten his little paw caught in something. Oh, what would he catch his paw in? Well, maybe he's caught his head in the radiator or something and he's choking to death. Look, he couldn't bark if he were choking to death. We're worrying about him. Who's the softy? Me. Yeah, now go to sleep. <laughs> Ed Dog. <laughs> Next Door is written by Peg Lynch and stars Peg Lynch and Ellen Bunce with Madeline Pierce as Betsy, Nelson Olmstead as the clerk, and is produced by Mrs. Warren Sweeney, inviting you to listen Monday to The Couple Next Door. Okay, here's one of my favorites, uh, Amos and Andy. I love this show. It's uh, it's about um, two black men, 
and um, I never did I never have been sure if it's actual black men playing the parts I think it should be but I had heard somewhere that uh, that that they started out with two white men playing it which back in that day it wouldn't have surprised me but um, anyway I, I mean they not that they not that they haven't did a good job if they are white men but I think they should have picked two black men to play it but anyhow I guess um, they took a lot of dramatic license probably yeah uh, but anyway um, here it is Andy's new wife The makers of the new Rinso bring you the Amos and Andy Show with their guest tonight, Mr. Charles Coburn. There's plenty of excitement around tonight because radio history is being made. The new Rinso presents the new Amos and Andy show. Yes, everything brand new. New in the fact that Amos and Andy are doing for the first time a half-hour show. New in that Amos and Andy are playing before an audience, also for the first time. And new in that each week there will be a famous guest. Tonight, Mr. Charles Coburn, whom you have seen in The More the Merrier and Heaven Can Wait. And there's plenty of news about Rinso, too. Try it yourself. I'm sure you'll agree it's absolutely tops. That its soapy rich suds get out more dirt, that in short, it's the ideal soap for wash day, for dishes, and for all the soap and water jobs around the house. Yes, try Rinso. I know you'll join the vast army of women who whistle while they wash. And now, the new soapy rich Rinso presents the new Amos and Andy Show. Well, there's an old saying that no news is good news. That must be true because Andy got news, and it's bad. The news is in the form of a letter which Andy is discussing with the Kingfish and Henry Van Porter in his office now. Boys, I really in a mess here. Well, Andy, uh, uh, that's like he's bad off. Well, to tell you the truth, Andy, I can't see what is such bad news about a relative coming to visit you from the South. Listen, Henry, a relative is bad news no matter what direction it comes from. <laughs> Listen here, fellas. I ain't told you this, but here's the jam I was in. About six months ago, I discovered that this uncle of mine that's coming up here tomorrow done cut me out of his will. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, now, that's a serious thing. Yeah, and I found out that the reason he done cut me out is because he thinks I is undisresponsible. <laughs> you see, boys, my uncle always wanted me to get married and settle down. Well, tell me this, Andy. What has all this got to do with the letter you received from him? No. Well, i always been kind of superstitious about being left out of will. <laughs> so about six months ago, I done written my Uncle Edgar, told him I got married, settled down, and I was living in a nice six-room apartment. Oh, I'm beginning to get it now. So he's going to arrive in New York tomorrow morning on the 9 o'clock train. But the main reason he's coming up here is to see some New York doctor specialist about his health. And he's going to stay here till Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Uh, tell me this, Andrew. After you done met your uncle that you got married and settled down, do you know if he put you back in the wilderness? Oh, sure. He slapped me right back in there. <laughs> you mean on the regular dotted line in ink, not just out in the margin in pencil? Well, <laughs> listen, yeah, I right in the middle of the thing, between them whereases and wherefores and all that stuff. Yeah, that, that, that's the place to be. If you can worm your way in there, there's the place. All right. <laughs> Well, Andy, it looks like you've got a lo lot to lose, all right. Yeah, but I ain't told you the biggest headache, Joe. My uncle say in the letter that he is planning on staying with me in my six-room apartment. And then he say that that'll give him a chance to become acquainted with my dear little wife. Mm -hmm. uh, when is your uncle coming up here? Saturday. Why, that's tomorrow. Uh, wait a minute, Andy. You could be married by tomorrow. Yeah, I could be married. Uh, wait a minute, Jerry. <laughs> How is I going to meet a gal that quick? Oh, just stand on the corner and keep whistling. <laughs> uh, now, just a minute, my friends. That sounds a bit hasty. After all, the type of girl that Andy might get from a whistle might not be the type he'd want for the mother of his children. Now, look here, Henry. When you were whistling for a wife on short notice, you can't be too particular. <laughs> like when you go up to the North Woods hunting for moose, and you give up with the moose call. You can't be fussy. you got to take the first moose that comes along. Yeah, kingfish, but you got to be a little more particular about a wife. After all, if you don't like a moose, you can shoot it. <laughs> Anyhow, even if I did get a wife, where is I going to get a six-room partner? Yeah, you in the pickleman all right, and I don't know, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I did, and hit me in the head, Joe. Just went in this ear here, look at it. Mm -hmm. Emil and his family is going away for the weekend. They won't be back till Monday night. You healed partner. Yes, but what about the wife that Andy's supposed to have? Well, uh, just, just tell your uncle that she out of town visiting uh, kinfolk. Yeah, that sounds good, but, well, Amos, let me do that. Well, now, look at Don't tell him what you're doing. Just tell him that you will stay in the apartment uh, over the weekend, uh, sort of a caretaker. Come on, Kingfish. Let's me and you go over to see Amos. So you're going away for the weekend, Amos. Sure hope you have a nice time. Yeah, well, thank you very much. Uh, tell me, Amos, uh, who is you leaving in charge of the apartment? Well, I ain't figuring on having nobody here. Oh, uh, how about burglars? Yeah. Well, I went away before, and I just locked the place, and nothing was stolen. Oh, maybe the burglars didn't get around to you yet. Yeah, I guess they short-handed, just like everybody else. <laughs> but you see, fellas... Oh, uh, Emma, look here. These burglars work the thing in alphabet order. Now, you just lucky, because your name is Jones. They ain't got down to you yet. Uh, and uh, is you here where the burglars is down to now? Oh, uh, yeah. I heard they was just finishing the letter before J, whatever that is. <laughs> uh, seems to me I hear that too. They was working on the R's. I remember that. <laughs> uh, tell you the truth, fellas, it might not be a bad idea to have somebody stay in the apartment while we is away, but I just wouldn't know who to get. Well, Amos, I is your pal, and I'll help you out. Would you do it, Andy? Yeah, I'll do it. Oh, gee, that's nice of you, Andy. Uh, we are going to leave at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning, so you can come in any time after 9. Okay, as a deal. I'll check in right after 9 o'clock. So long. Be sure and get out on time. So long, Emma. Uh, so long, fellas. I'll be back Monday night. Uh, see you then. 
Well, Andy, this is a great break for us, all right. Wait a minute. There you go with that us stuff, Kingfish. By any chance, is you helping me because you figured I might get some money from the will? Oh, don't be silly, Andy. <laughs> Never entered my mind. Cool, at the same time, I know that if anything should happen to your dear uncle, well, I just know that in time of grief, you'll want to share your good fortune with your friends. <laughs> Well, Uncle Edgar, your train was right on time, and it sure is nice to see you. Yeah, we're sure glad to see you, Uncle Edgar. You don't mind if I call you Uncle Edgar, too, do you? And if you tell me so much about you, I kind of feel like I have a close relation to yours. Well, that, that's very fine. Uh, tell me, Uncle Edgar, how are things down south? You know, the cotton crop, wills, and all that stuff. <laughs> oh, everything's fine. Certainly wasn't nice you boys to come down and meet me at the train here. But, uh, Andy, where's the little woman? Uh, uh, who? The little woman, your wife. Oh, oh, my wife. Yeah, well, uh, 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 Lucy done went over to uh, Pennsylvania to see her mother. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly where she went. You see, Uncle Edgar, when you said little woman, <laughs> Annie didn't know who you meant because Lucy's big as a horse. <laughs> well, I'm suddenly anxious to meet her. She's going to be back before I leave, ain't she? Well, I hope so, Uncle Edgar. But do you think we better get out of this station here? Yeah, you're right. Uh, I got a boy right here, Uncle Edgar. Take care of your suitcases. Uh, hey, Lightning, come over here. Oh, I can handle the suitcases all right. Did you want me now? Uh, these are the suitcases. Uh, deliver them to the apartment like I told you, Lightning. And by the way, Lightning, uh, this is my Uncle Edgar. Uh, this is Lightning. Young man, I'm glad to meet you. Uh, pleased to meet you, Uncle Edgar. Are you the man that got the will, ain't you? Oh, uh, 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 get on with them bags. Oh, don't worry, Uncle. Get everything. Get away from here, Lightning. Are... Well, Uncle Edgar, how do you feel after taking a shower and changing your clothes? Oh, I feel a lot better, Andy. Yeah, sit down there in that stuffed over chair and take it easy, Uncle Edgar. <laughs> Say, Andy, you and your wife are the only ones that live in this apartment, ain't you? Yes, Uncle Edgar. This is our own little love nest. Just the two of us. Me and her. Well, uh, what is all them toys there in the closet of my room? Uh, what toys? You mean you don't know what toys is back there? Well, uh, 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 well, you see, uh, uh, I play with so many toys, I didn't know which ones you meant. <laughs> well, there's some dolls back there, too. Oh, don't be silly, Uncle Edgar. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't played with dolls for over a year. Sir Andy, who is the picture of this man here on the table? Uh, which picture do you mean? The only picture that's there. Oh, oh, that one. Uh, don't look at me. It's been at Uncle Edgar. I see it's inscribed on there, To My Loving Wife from Amos. Oh, that. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that's, uh, 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 that's my wife's first husband. Yeah. Well, what in the world do you have to have his picture around here? Uh, well, I tell you, Uncle Edgar, uh, uh, it keeps reminding my wife of him and makes her appreciate me more. <laughs> yeah, that's good, Uncle Edgar. That's certainly right. You know, Uncle Edgar, there's nothing like holding a first husband over a wife's head. <laughs> oh, oh, by the way, Andy... You know, I want to see one of these New York doctors. 
You might ask around of your friends and see if they know a good one. Yeah, yeah, but uh, you take it easy, Uncle Edgar, and enjoy yourself for the weekend here. I'm going to tell you, Annie, you sure got a nice place here. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking, I don't have to break my neck to get back home. You fellas have been so nice to me, I think I'll change my plans and stay here a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks? Yeah. <laughs> I know that would make you happy. Uh, what's the matter, boys? Uh, you will made us so happy that we are speechless. <laughs> well, folks, remember I said this would be a new kind of show for Amos and Andy, and I hope you're having as good a time as the folks here are having. Now, I mentioned a little earlier that millions of women these days are whistling while they wash, and the notes they're whistling are... And that stands for Rinso White, three little notes that have been making wash day history. Yes, Rinso has taken the drudgery out of wash day. Those soapy rich suds have made it possible for women to turn out a dazzling white bright wash without hard scrubbing or boiling, simply by soaking clothes clean. A few quick finger rubs on badly soiled places, and clothes are ready to rinse. Yes, new Rinso gets out more dirt. And women are whistling while they wash dishes, too, in Rinso suds. It makes the job so speedy. And that goes for washing floors, windows, tiles, and so forth. So tomorrow, get Rinso. Then you'll whistle, and you'll see how much easier life can be. Now, back to Amos and Andy, and their guest tonight, Charles Coburn. Uncle Edgar certainly threw a monkey wrench in the machinery when he announced that he had decided to stay two weeks. Andy and the kingfish are plenty worried. Kingfish, we is really in a mess now. Mm -hmm. Amos coming home Monday, and Uncle Edgar say he's going to be here for two weeks. Andy, listen, I got an idea. Look here, when your uncle wakes up from the nap he's taking, we'll take him up to doctor's row. You know that's where the alley lawyer... Has got his offer? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think up around there we'll find a doctor that will see eye to eye with us. Yeah, but we want to get a big doctor with a good reputation to examine my uncle. Yeah, well, we'll get a good one already, but I think that for a small extra charge, we can get a doctor to tell Uncle Edgar that this climate up north here is bad for his health and that he has got to get right back down south now at once. Yeah, well, how is we going to work it? We'll leave Uncle Edgar out in the waiting room at the doctor's office, and we'll go in the doctor's private office and talk to him first. Oh, I think I see what you mean. Hello? Is this Dr. Charles Coburn, the veterinarian? That's right. I'm the veterinarian. This is Mrs. Stanley Watson. I called up to find out how my caucus spaniel was coming along. He's doing nicely, Mrs. Watson. His front paw is still a little sore, but we ought to have him out of here in a few days. Oh, thank you very much, Doctor. Goodbye. Come in. Oh, excuse us, uh, but, but is you Dr. Charles Coburn? That's right. Uh, good, yeah. Well, we see your name on the door outside, and we're looking for a doctor. Tell me, do you have the patient with you? Uh, he's out in the waiting room, yes. Sir. We, we want to talk to you first. Is he chained up? <laughs> uh, chained up? Uh, oh, no, he ain't dangerous. Well, why don't you bring him in the office here? Well, uh, that's what we want to tell you. Uh, you see, Doctor, we don't want him to hear what we're going to tell you. Oh. 
<laughs> you don't want him to hear. No. That's pretty good. I've heard some of them are very clever, but I've never heard of one that uh, could understand medical terms. <laughs> oh, well, the truth is, uh, he ain't been feeling well lately, and he asked us to take him to a doctor, you see. <clears throat> Before we go any further, gentlemen, are you sure that you are feeling all right? <laughs> oh, sure, yes, sir, we feel all right. Well, tell me exactly what's wrong with the patient. I'm a busy man. Uh, the well doctor, to tell you the truth, uh, we don't know exactly what's wrong with him. Well, the only thing to do then is to strap him here on this table and I'll give him a thorough examination. Uh, strap him? I don't think he's going to like that. <laughs> oh, that's all right. We'll put a muzzle on him. Now, wait a minute. We can go just so far with him, you know. Yeah, yeah, we can't make him mad because he's worth a lot of money. Now, listen to me. A dog is a dog. If I can help him, I'll be very happy to do so. Uh, excuse me for protruding, Doctor, but, uh, my right ear been giving me a little trouble here lately. Did you say dog? Uh, is you a dog, Doctor, by any chance? Certainly. What do you think? Well, I didn't know what to think when you say you're going to put a muzzle on my uncle. <laughs> oh, your uncle is out there. Yeah. I see. You thought I was a regular M.D. No, I take care of dogs, cats, horses, all kinds of animals. I've got a little hospital out here in the back. Oh, well, now, uh, Doctor, as uh, long as we are here, uh, maybe you could uh, help us out anyhow. Uh, yes, sir, yes. Sir. Uh, what we'd like you to do in your uh, uh, professional capacity, uh, uh, well, uh, <laughs> tastes exactly wrong, tastes exactly right, kind of in between, uh, uh, And uh, being in between, uh, we're willing to pay you extra for it. Yeah. Gentlemen, if you think that I, as a respected member of the medical profession, would do even one small thing to jeopardize my fine reputation and standing in this community, if you think that I would stoop to a thing of this kind, if you think that I would do anything contrary to my standards in exchange for what amounts to a little more than a bribe, then you've come to the right place. <laughs> Yeah, man, that's great. That's great. Now, look here. Here's what we want you to do. We, 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 we want you to convince my uncle that this northern climate is bad for him, and even one more day of it might be fatal, and he has got to go right back down south. Yeah, so we don't care what you tell him. Uh, we just want to make sure that he leaves town by tonight. It's as good as done, my friends. But in our haste, let us not forget the cash. Ten dollars. Oh, yes, sir. Here it is. You might put it in that drawer right there. I don't touch money like that. Uh, okay, Doc, okay. Uh, I'll have my uncle come right in. Uh, yeah, get him right... Uh, wait, wait a minute. Uh, hide them dog biscuits over there on the table. <laughs> okay, Uncle Edgar, come on in. The doctor's ready for you. This is the famous specialist that I done told you about. Uh, how do you do, Doctor? Uh, how do you do? If you sit right down here, open your mouth... Mm-hmm. Now, tell me, how have you been feeling? Well, frankly, this afternoon I've been feeling pretty well. Mm, that's a bad symptom. <laughs> yes, that's the trouble with your particular ailment. You always feel better first. Well, what is it that's wrong with me, Doctor? Well, the medical term is uh, northern-itis. Doctor, no, anything but that. <laughs> Yes, I'm sorry to hear that, Doctor. 
Now, Doctor, just what is this northern itis? Well, you come to me as a patient, and I guess it's my duty to tell you the truth. Northern itis is a condition that is brought on by an atmospheric change, a change of pressure that crushes the cells of the nervous system. Naturally, yeah. <laughs> that's what you, makes you feel like you do now. But I feel very good now. No, that's nothing. That will go away. <laughs> well, uh, tell us this, Doctor. What is the cure for this life? Your uncle must go back down south. Of course, there's no real hurry about it. Nothing to get alarmed about. Uh, doctor, but when do you think I should leave for the south? No, there's no tremendous rush about it. Any time within the next hour. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, 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 we better leave right away, Uncle Edgar, before you start foaming at the mouth. Uh, come on, we go right down to the depot and get your ticket. Do you mean to say that? Yeah, I... come on, Uncle Edgar, let's get out of here. <laughs> yeah, we ain't got no time to waste. Well, so long, Doctor. <laughs> oh, what was that? That's one of my patients. I mean, <laughs> one of your patients. <laughs> got a nasty cough, hasn't he? <laughs> Goodbye, boy. <laughs> Well, Uncle Edgar, you has done got the best medical advice you could have got in the whole city. Oh, there ain't no two ways about it. He's a great doctor. Yeah, he seems to be a very good doctor. And I'm going to take his advice and return to the South. But there's one thing, Andy. Uh, what's that? I made up my mind not to leave town here until I've met your dear little wife. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Now, did the theatrical agency tell you exactly what you were supposed to do? Yes. I'm supposed to play the part of a man's wife, and you're going to pay me $3 for it. Right. You is going to play the Jew as my wife, Lucy. Now, the main thing is to try to do as little talking as you can, so you ain't going to get yourself caught in no booby trap. Yes. Yeah, I think we're all set now, Andy. Okay. Uncle Edgar, Lucy is back. Now, remember everything we told you, Lucy. Well, well, well. So, uh, this is Lucy. Yes, sir, Lucy. I was married to this gentleman here. Yes, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know that, but tell me this, Lucy. How long has you been married? Well, uh, we've been married exactly one year. Well, wait a minute. It seems to me you said something to me, Andy, about being married six months. I thought it was about a year. Uh, well, you see, Uncle Edgar, uh, the time passes fast for me and slow for her. <laughs> Uncle Edgar, you done seen Lucy now. Guess we better shoot right down to the depot, huh? Well, I haven't had a chance to get acquainted with Lucy yet. That's right. Don't rush us, Mr. Brown. Mr. Brown? And after being married six months, you don't make your wife call you Mr. Brown, do you? Uh, well, I tell you, Uncle Edgar, till I've been married a year, I demand respect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you got to keep these women in the place, all right. Yeah, I tell you, Uncle Edgar... Uh-oh. Well, how is it there, Andy? Uh, say, what is going on here? Amos, you ain't supposed to be back here till tomorrow. Yeah, well, I got a chance to ride down with some people, and I thought I'd do it. Uh, I'd like to meet your friends here, Andy. Go ahead, Amos. Uh, Andy, introduce them there. Go on, mess them up there. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, well, now, uh, <laughs> uh, Well, Amos, uh, 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 this, uh, 
Is my Uncle Edgar here? Oh, how do you do? Yeah, pleased to meet you. My name is Jones. Yeah. And uh, th- now this is, um, uh, well, uh, well, that's my Uncle Edgar right there. <laughs> Uncle Edgar. I, I, I ain't met the girl yet, Andy. My name is Lucy. I'm the wife of this gentleman here. I think his name is Andy. <laughs> Why, Andy, you didn't tell yeah, me. Yeah, no, Amos, I know it. But, but look, there's something I do want to tell you right now. Uh, come on, Amos. You too, Kingfish. Let's go out someplace where we can talk. Uncle Edgar, you stay here, and this will give you a chance to get better acquainted with Lucy. So, Amos, that's the whole story in a nutshell. Yes, Amos, the only reason that Andy done it was so that his uncle would keep him in his will. That's some story you got there, all right. You certainly can get yourself messed up, Andy. Yeah. What is I going to do, Amos? There's only one thing you can do. Tell your uncle the truth. I think he'll appreciate it and appreciate you being honest with him because he's bound to find out sooner or later. Yeah, you're right. Oh, me. <laughs> Boys, I'm going out and take a walk in the park so I can get up my nerves. <laughs> Come on, Kingfish, let's go in. I'm going to tell him the truth. Okay, open the door. Well, Andy, Kingfish, you finally got back. Where have you been all day? Where's Lucy? Oh, she's in the kitchen. Well, in the kitchen? Uh, Uncle Edgar, there comes a time in a man's life when he got to do something that he don't like to do, but I got to do it. Well, what is it, Andy? Well, Uncle Edgar, I'm going to confess something to you. This ain't my apartment, and Lucy ain't my wife. The only reason that I done told you all this was so I could stay in your will. But I wouldn't blame you now if you throwed me out. I understand, Andy. But I ain't gonna cause you no more trouble, Uncle Edgar. Where's that sappy little theatrical actress who's supposed to be my wife? I, you get me a, I'll pay her the $3 and chase her out here right away, so at least she ain't gonna be bothered with her. Andy, please. you speaking of my future wife. <laughs> your future what? My future wife. I found out right after you left this morning that she was only playing the part of your wife. We have spent all day getting acquainted. She's a fine cook and a good-looking girl. We're getting mad right away and leaving on the first train for Georgia. Well, congratulations and all that stuff, Uncle Edgar. I'll be glad to go to the depot with you and see you off. You know, carry the grips for you, carry your will, anything you want me to carry. <laughs> yeah, congratulations, Uncle Edgar. But, uh, say, there's just one thing that I'd like to clear up before you leave. What's that? Well, now that Lucy is going to be my aunt instead of my wife, does I have to pay her the $3 or does you pay her? Ladies and gentlemen, Amos and Andy would like to say a few words to their listeners. Hello, folks. Hello, everybody. Well, we hope you enjoyed our first show. As you know, this is the beginning of our new half-hour series. And we want to thank Mr. Charles Coburn for his kindness in working with us tonight. We wouldn't feel right to let this first show pass without saying a word about our sponsors, makers of the new Rinso. Of course, we have heard of Rinso and its splendid reputation. And not long ago, we asked for permission to visit the plant and see Rinso being made. We saw it being made with our own eyes, and that is why we are so enthusiastic about the product we advertise. 
In thinking back over our trip through the Rinso plant, it seems that we went through dozens of laboratories, and believe us, the reason for the high quality of Rinso is no accident. We can truthfully tell you great care is taken to give Rinso the top quality which it has, and we earnestly feel that you too will recognize this and be glad you are using this wonderful product. You folks were nice to listen to us tonight. And we're looking forward to being back with you next Friday night at the same time. Thank you again. And don't forget, folks, when you think of Amos and Andy, think of Rinso. Thank you and good night. Be with us again next Friday night at the same hour when the makers of the new Rinso again present the Amos and Andy Show. And when Amos and Andy's guest will be the talented pianist, Jose Iturbe. This is Harlow Wilcox bidding you good night for all of us. next one i hope y'all enjoyed amos and andy as much as i do uh but this next one it's um called dr christian you have um dr kildare and you have dr christian i started to pull one of each but uh, i just did dr christian today and uh you kind of wish every doctor was like this guy because uh, he's just a super good, friendly guy and takes his time and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but has a good bedside manner, does he? <laughs> yeah, he sure does. Uh, shoot, he could. Uh, well, no, I better hush that. <laughs> I started. To, <laughs> I started to say he could put his manner at my bed any time, but I better. <laughs> But anyway, it's called Operation in the Shack. For years, Gene Hersholt was one of the outstanding character actors of pictures. Then came the day that he was assigned to the part of the country doctor in the 20th Century Fox production of that name, and Gene Hersholt became one of the foremost stars of Hollywood. It gives us great pleasure to be able to bring you the extraordinary gifts of this great artist in the kind of role that made him famous and that he made famous. As Paul Christian, the doctor of River's End, Gene Hersholt has in store for you many hours of absorbing, heartwarming drama to high-spot your Sunday afternoons this winter. And so I give you Gene Herschel. Ladies and gentlemen, 
I'm sure you've heard of the fellow who didn't believe in ghosts, but who just the same was afraid of them. Well, I don't believe in luck, but just the same it happens. And it happens in very strange ways. Three years ago in a little town up in Canada, five baby girls were born. Now, the birth of five little girls in Canada couldn't possibly have any effect on an actor playing character parts in Hollywood. Only it did. And because of what happened up there, I've been consistently cast in doctor roles, in pictures, and now in this new radio series for the Cheeseboro Manufacturing Company. Well, I like playing doctor roles. I like the role of Dr. Paul Christian in these broadcasts. I like being on the program of a company whose products are so well known and which has been so highly recommended and regarded for so many years. <laughs> People often ask me if I'm a real doctor, if I ever studied medicine. Well, I'm not, and I haven't. But I have studied doctors in order to play convincingly the role of a doctor. And I found out a lot about doctors. And the more I found out, the greater has been my respect and admi my admiration for the medical profession. Now, I don't want to take any more time away from the show. I only started out to say something about the quantum that's bringing me luck. And they have. But then, five of a kind should bring anyone luck, shouldn't they? Thank you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we take you to the little town of River's End, which sprawls carelessly at the crossways where the highway traverses the Sage River Road. The highway runs to the city, 70 miles away, but the river road is the most traveled. Over this road, on this particular morning... young lady. Oh, I'm all right, but my doll is sick. Why, you don't say. Here, let me have a look at her. Hmm. I'm afraid your doll has high sawdust pressure. Oh, do you think you can cure her, Dr. Christian? Well, the doll is pretty hard to cure, Millie. Now, let me see. She mustn't have any candy. No candy? No. You eat all the candy yourself. Here. Here's something to buy it with. Oh, but Dr. Christian... Mama says I mustn't ever take money from people. Oh, but this is different. If your doll has to go without candy, there has to be some candy for her to go without. You tell Mama I gave you the money and, and everything will be all right. Gee, thank you, Dr. Christian. Oh, goodbye, Millie. Goodbye. Oh, Dr. Christian... Morning, Mrs. Tansy. Oh, Doctor, I, I... I got that letter about your bill, and I... Oh, now, don't worry about my bill. Judy Price wrote that letter. She's back from business college, and, well, she has sort of wished herself on me as my office girl. Oh, the letter was real nice, and I... I do want to get the bill settled just as soon as I can. Well, how much is that bill? Ten dollars. Well, Mrs. Tansy, things being as they are, I'll make you 50-50 proposition. I'll forget half of that bill. Oh, oh, I thank and you. And you'll forget the other half. 
Goodbye, Mrs. Tansy. But Dr. Christian... How's the missus? She's getting along first rate. Oh, that's fine. Doc, I, I don't know how to thank you for what you've done for us. If it hadn't been for you, she'd have... Oh, no, I just happened to have been there, that's all. If it hadn't been me, it would have been some other doctor. Well, just the same, I... Well, I ain't much on making a fancy speech. Oh, no, don't try, Jim. <laughs> I'm the darnest person to sleep through a speech you ever saw. But I want to do something, Doc. You can't pay that kind of a debt just with money. I owe something more. That's right. But it isn't me you owe. And sometimes, some way, you'll see a way to pay that debt. I see what you mean, Doc. Goodbye, Jim. Goodbye, Doc. Dr. Christian's office. This is Judy Price. Dr. Christian isn't in. No, I don't think he can. He's leaving today on a fishing trip. Yes, I will. Goodbye. Wait a minute, Judy. Who was that? Ed Meadows. His rheumatism is bothering him again. Oh. Well, I bet I could ride over there. Oh, you'll do nothing of the sort. You're leaving on your vacation, and I'm going to see that you go. Oh, about that bill... Did you talk to Simon Schreiner this morning? Simon? Oh, yes, yes. Well, what did he say? Well, let me see now. I think he said he didn't believe it would rain. What did he say about the bill? Now, isn't that funny? I forgot to mention it. Oh, I never saw such a person. <laughs> Hello, Doctor. Hello, Roy. Now, you get out of here, Roy Davis. Dr. Christian's busy. He's getting ready to leave on his vacation. Yes, I know it. I just bought some medicine he ordered at the drugstore. Oh, well, thanks, Roy. Uh, where are you going for your trip, Doctor? Swampy Martin is going to roll me up the river to his shack. That loafer? I didn't know he had ambition enough to row anybody up the river. Oh, no, Swampy's no loafer. He's, uh, well, he's sort of a scientist. He's made a study of the river and fishing just as you made a study of trucks. Well, I was figuring on having him come around and wash my windows this afternoon, but if he's taking you on a trip, I'll get somebody else. Well, have a good time, Doc. You bet he will. Why don't you have people call you doctor instead of doc? After all, you're a physician, a graduate of medical school. Oh, no, Judy. That'd be kind of putting it on for just a country doctor. Oh, country doctor or not. You're just as capable and, and just as talented as if you were in a big hospital somewhere. No, Judy. You're wrong. I thought the same thing once. But that was a long time ago when I first came here with a nice new leather satchel full of shiny instruments and a head full of ambitious notions. Oh, I was only going to stay for a little while just to get experience. And then I was going to be a surgeon, a great surgeon. The world was going to hear from me. Well, you see... If you're trying to make me believe you're a failure... Well, who said anything about failure? Why, there are all sizes of jobs in this world. We can't all do the big ones. Somebody has to take care of the little ones. 
Say, isn't that Mrs. Weathers coming across the street? Oh, she can't be coming here. She told me only yesterday how good she was feeling. Ever so much better. Oh, but you don't know Mrs. Weathers. When she feels good, she usually feels bad because she knows that after she feels better, she'll always feel worse. Oh, <laughs> oh she is coming here. <laughs> Are your fishing things packed? Yes, but... Uh, Go on in the back room and stay there. Oh, but Judy, wait a minute. I'll take care of Mrs. Withers. Oh, but listen. Go on in the back room and hurry. Oh, good morning, Mrs. Withers. Oh, uh, hello, Judy. A nice day, isn't it? Yes, I suppose it is for them as can enjoy it. Uh, uh, isn't Dr. Christian in? Well, he's not here in the office. Uh, then I'll wait. Might as well suffer here as in any other place. In what places do you usually suffer, Mrs. Withers? Oh, I, I suffer all over, Judy. Well, you must get around quite a bit. Oh, but I'm used to pain. I could stand it if it wasn't for those spells I have. Oh, when they come on, they're terrible. My mind's a blank. So I've heard. Uh, Judy, did you ever have everything go black and hear a roar and sound in your ears? Yes. Once when I went through a tunnel. Oh, they last for days sometimes. Well, I, I only come out of them just long enough to eat. Uh, uh, why, um, how long will I have to sit here and wait? About five days. He's going on a fishing trip. Oh, why, why, he can't do that. He can't go. I, I've got to see him. Uh, call, call him back. If you think I'm going to spoil Dr. Christian's vacation just so you can enjoy one of your spells, you're mistaken. You can put your spell off. Uh, oh, no, Judy. No, if I have a spell, I'll die. I'll die before he gets back. Oh, no, you won't. In fact, I'll guarantee that on the day he returns, you'll still be alive and, and kicking. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. What? What did you say? I said stop feeling sorry for yourself. There's nothing the matter with you. Why? Why, I never... All you're after is attention. Why, you... You just want people to wait on you. You snippety youngies. You can't talk to me like that. Why, what do you think I am? An empty-headed dodo. You're getting warmer. Oh, oh, you just wait. Wait until Dr. Christian comes home. I'll tell him about this. I'll tell him plenty. Judy. You can come out now. Has she gone? She's gone. And Swampy Martin's waiting for you at the river. So you better hurry. I'm leaving right away. Promise me you'll have a good vacation. And the rest of your life. I promise, Judy. Because if I don't, I know you'll be nagging me for the rest of my life. Vaseline products need no introduction to any home listening in with us today. They are simple, inexpensive, useful home remedies for many little ailments. Teach your children to avoid infections and serious troubles by reaching for the Vaseline petroleum jelly as soon as they receive even a minor wound. If the wound is slight, it may be cleansed under running water and Vaseline jelly applied immediately. And the chances are that healing will be rapid, clean, and complete. If the wound is a penetrating wound, such as a wound caused by a nail, call the doctor at once. He will, of course, approve your use of this product for first aid treatment. Now we 
return the microphone to Dr. Christian and his guide, Swampy, who are bound for a fishing trip up the river. Let me take the oars for a while, Swampy. Oh, you must be tired out pulling a boat all afternoon. No. I'm not tired. Anyhow, we're almost there now. Shack's just around the bend. What are the catching do over this time of the year, Swampy? Old tomato cans, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the only kind of cans that are biting. Well, you don't have to worry. Jim will show you the places. How old is your boy now, Swampy? Fourteen. Going on fifteen, and about as smart as they come. Is he still going to school? Starts in high school this fall. High school? You don't tell me. Yes, sir. That boy's going to make something of himself. Well, there's the shack. Oh, Jimmy! Jimmy! Guess he don't hear me. Mind hopping out, Doc, and tying up the boat? Just passing the line to that stump there. Wait here a minute, Doc. It's dark as all get out in there. I'll go in and light a lamp. Can't figure where Jimmy is. Well, maybe he's out catching us a mess of fish for supper. I wouldn't mind sitting down to a nice... Doc. Doc. Huh? He's in here. What? Jimmy. Laying on the floor, all doubled up. He Come don't know me. Come on with that lamp. Jimmy. Jimmy. Wait. Wait, don't touch him. Doc. What do you think is wrong? Hold the light down here. How long has he been sick? He ain't been sick. He had a kind of a stomachache the day I left. But he didn't say much about it. I thought it was just something he had. He's been here alone for two days? Where's the nearest phone? I don't know. There's nobody living around here. Well, how far to the closest road? Four miles, maybe five. Well, we've got to get him back to town. The river is the quickest way. Well, that'll take three or four hours. Doc... What's the matter with him? Appendix. Ruptured, I think. Is... Is it serious, Doc? Swampy. Can you stand some bad news? Jimmy's going to die. Die? Oh, no, Doc. There's one chance in ten in operation could save him. But he'd have to be fast. And we're hours away from Riversand. Seventy miles from the nearest hospital. But you're a doctor. I haven't the equipment, Swampy. I haven't the right kind of tools. The things to work with. Well, even if I had, I wouldn't dare to risk it here. This is a case for a skilled surgeon. But you can do something. I'm sorry, Swampy. There's nothing. Jimmy. Jimmy. It's me. Your dad. He don't answer me. Don't even open his eyes. He was such a smart little fella, Doc. So bright and cheerful like. And so grown up acting. He didn't hardly complain at all about being sick the day I left. Just stood there on the bank, waving to me as I went away in the boat. Waving till I got around the bend. That's the last I saw of him. Standing there, saying goodbye. And now... Now... Doc, you got to do something. 
She's all I have. You've got to. Swampy. Light all the lamps. Start a fire on that stone. Put some water on to boil. Get my little kid out of the boat. And get all our... Get all the knives you've got. Knives? Yes, kitchen knives, hunting knives, everything you've got. But, Doc, Doc, you're not... I'm going to operate. Dr. Paul Christian's office, isn't it? Yes. I'd like to see the doctor. Dr. Christian isn't here. Say, what about the operation he performed? Operation? What operation? Oh, come on now. You might as well talk. We're going to catch up with Christian sooner or later anyway. Now, listen. Listen, if you don't want to tell me about the operation, tell me where he is. He's on a vacation. Okay. Okay, have it your way. But just the same... Pardon me a moment. There's someone at the door. That's all right. I'll be getting along. But I'll be back. Oh, come in, Mrs. Withers. I suppose I'll have to wait again. No, this gentleman is just leaving. Well, Mrs. Withers, I see you're still here and alive. Yes, I'm here. But that's more than you'll be when I talk to Dr. Christian. Where is he? Still fishing. Fishing? Hmm. That makes a nice story. You know as well as I do that Dr. Christian hasn't been on a fishing trip at all. What? Just look what the Morning City paper has to say. Where? Right there, under Visters in the City. Dr. Paul Christian of River's End was seen coming out of the Palace Hotel last evening. Where... Was seen coming out of the Palace Hotel. And I don't think it's possible to come out of something that you haven't gone in. Oh, I don't know. What about a chicken coming out of an egg? Oh, well, chickens have nothing to do with it. You've lied to me, deceived me. Who deceived who about what? Oh, oh, Dr. Christian. Oh, Judy, she, she's deceived me about chickens coming out of eggs. And, oh, oh, I'm going to have them. Oh, no. Oh, I am. Oh, Doctor, I, I feel awful. Here now, sit down. Just relax. You see if you're running a little feeble. Open the mouth. Now close. That's it, Judy. Get my stethoscope, mm. will you? Thanks. How was the trip? Oh, fine. Pretty hot. Now open, Mrs. Withers. Did you say pretty hot? Mm-hmm. Hot as I've ever seen it. Oh, but, Doctor, what does that mean? Oh, usually violent electrical disturbances in the interior. Oh, oh, my. Oh, what, what does a person do when that happens? Well, the best thing to do, Mrs. Withers, is just to give up. Give, give up? Yes, no use trying to fish in weather like that. Here, take this, Judy. Well, Mrs. Withers, you seem to be in a pretty good condition. Oh, but I'm going to have a spell, Doctor. I can feel it coming on. Oh, can't you do something for me? Well, yes, it just so happens that I think I can. Oh, Doctor. There have been some recent scientific discoveries uh, about spells like yours, Mrs. Withers. Oh, tell me. And one of the most effective gastronomic agents has been... Yes, yes. Cowards. Oh, 
carrots. So I think I'll put you on a diet of raw carrots. Oh, but you know I don't like carrots. I hate carrots. Well, we all have to do things we don't like, Mrs. Withers. Now, any time you feel a spell coming on, you're just going to diet of raw carrots for about three days. And after that, drop in and tell me how you are. Oh, but there must be some other... Nothing but carrots, Mrs. Withers. Just raw carrots. And don't come in until you try them for three days. Oh, yes, but... Goodbye, Mrs. Withers. (laughs) (laughs) Don't laugh. (laughs) I'll bet you an ice cream soda it works. (laughs) Well, Judy, anything happened while I was away? Oh, a few things, but they can wait. Tell me about your vacation. Oh, there's nothing much to tell. I didn't do much. Mm, just loafed around the shack, I suppose. Did my share loafing? We had a nice rest. Yes, sir. Why, I feel like another man. <laughs> you must be another man. Because Dr. Paul Christian wasn't on a fishing trip. He was in the city. Huh? What's that? Read this. Oh. Yes. Oh. Well, uh... To tell you the truth, yes, I... Yes, why don't you? I... I did go to the city. You see, there was a little trouble about... Oh, I'll answer it. Dr. Christian's office. Oh, yes, Jerry, I'm leaving in about 15 minutes. Meet me at the drugstore. Did I hear what? Swampy Martin's boy. He's... Oh, Jerry. Judy. But it couldn't have been Dr. Christian. He was in the city. Yes, it was... No. Yes. Listen. Listen to me. I operate on him. I had to. He was... Are you Dr. Paul Christian? Yes. My name's Thorn. I want to have a talk with you in private. And while they have their talk, I have a word for you. Men, are you troubled with scalp dryness? Do you fear dandruff? Does your scalp shed on your coat collar? If you have any of these symptoms, Vaseline hair tonic will help you. Rub it briskly into the scalp with the fingertips. Use a rotary motion to loosen the scalp, open the pores, stimulate the blood flow. After a few minutes' workout of your scalp, shampoo your hair. And when it is dry, groom it with a few drops of Vaseline hair tonic applied with the palms of the hands and brushed in. This is a simple treatment. There's no magic about it. It is safe and sane and sensible. Vaseline hair tonic comes in a handy bottle in two sizes, priced at 40 cents and 70 cents. Get a bottle from your druggist tomorrow. Our story continues now with the scene laid in Dr. Christian's rooms behind the office. The time is late afternoon of the same day. I had orders from my paper to get an interview or else. Oh, but why should the newspaper be interested in a thing like this? Why? When a doctor operates with kitchen knives on the floor of a fishing shack and saves a boy's life? Oh, that's... Hey, do you know what they told me at the Central Hospital? That it was one of the most remarkable pieces of surgery they'd ever seen. But go ahead. What happened after he operated? Well, there isn't much more to tell. For the next two or three days, I didn't get much sleep. Mm -hmm. But he was a strong and healthy boy, and he pulled through fine. Well, when it was well enough to move, I took him to the city, to Central Hospital, and he's doing splendidly. And what was your idea of being so doggone mysterious about the affair? The hospital said you were at the hotel, the hotel said you were at the hospital, and then I finally discovered you'd left the city. Well, you see, I didn't want Judy, she's my office girl, to find out. But I might as well have been opening a bar port. 
She found out anyhow. Mr. Thorne, if you have any dark secrets in your life, don't ever move to a small town. <laughs> hey, you know, Dr. Christian, after hearing what they said about you at Central Hospital, I wonder what you're doing in a small town. Why are you wasting your time in a place like this? Have you ever thought of leaving? Well, yes. Yes, I guess I have. Then here's something to think about. Right now is the time to do it. When the news of this operation breaks in tomorrow's papers, you're going to be famous. Oh, I don't know. Well, I do. And you ought to be in this city where you'll have the opportunity to do the important work you can do. I'd like to get a statement for the paper about what your future plans are. You, uh, you want to quote me, you mean? Yeah, that's it. Well, you can say that I've been very happy here in River's End. Oh, it's such a nice little town. But then, of course, I know there's no big opportunities here. I know that as long as I stay, I'll just be a country doctor. So when do you plan to leave? Next week? No. No, I... I couldn't get away next week. Maybe in a month, huh? I'm afraid not. Fact is, I don't think I can get away at all. You can't get away at all. You mean you're staying here? But why? You see, well, a patient of mine, Mrs. Withers, she's going to have a spell. And so we take leave of River's End for the present. Secure in the feeling that we can look in again on the old town next Sunday afternoon to find Dr. Christian at home among the friends and patients who could not do without him. Before we sign off, though, we want you to meet some of the artists you're going to become well acquainted with this winter. Rosemary DeCamp, who played Judy Price. Hello, everybody. It's fun working in this show, not only because I get a kick out of bossing Jean Herschel around, but because I'm one of the Cheeseboro Manufacturing Company's best customers. My pet use of Vaseline jelly is for my hands. After I've done any kind of housework or got my hands chapped and rough from outdoor sports, I apply it to get rid of the roughness and redness. You see, Vaseline jelly costs only ten cents a jar, which is an item to a working girl. And it's the best remedy I know for chapped hands. Good girl, Rosemary. Now here is Noreen Gamil, who played Mrs. Withers. I'm glad to get a chance to speak to you in my normal voice, just to prove I don't complain all the time. Privately, I enjoy very good health, thank you. I was practically raised on Vaseline products. My mother used them on us kids for everything, from sore throat to skin knuckles. And last but not least, Gail Gordon, who played Roy Davis, the druggist of River's End. As a druggist, I have a chance to try everything in the store, but when it comes to hair tonics, I settled long ago on just one. Vaseline hair tonic. Keeps the scalp clean and healthy and lubricated and slicks the hair down just enough for a good grooming. Thank you, all of you. Prices of Vaseline products mentioned on this program apply only in the United States. When you purchase Vaseline preparations, be sure to look for the trademark Vaseline on the package. If you don't see it, you are not getting the genuine article.
Next Sunday at the same time, the Cheeseboro Manufacturing Company, makers of Vaseline preparations, will present Chapter 2 in the story of Paul Christian, the Doctor of River's End, with Gene Hersholt in the title role. Gene Hersholt appears on this program through the courtesy of 20th Century Fox. Arthur Gilmore speaking. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. I love this show coming up, folks. It's uh, it's kind of an inspirational show. Um, it's it it's focused on the family. It's called Family Theater, and um, it it has to do with uh, kind of like inspirational messages for family or for you or whatever. But um, anyway, and then you have um, a celebrity who does the. Uh, who does each show and um so uh if you like inspirational type shows then you'll enjoy this one you can probably enjoy it anyway even if you're not inspirational but <laughs> but i mean if you are it just kind of adds to it family theater a bunch of keys here we go The Mutual Broadcasting System presents The Family Theater, starring Lee Bowman and Frank McHugh. George Murphy is your host. More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. Good evening, this is George Murphy as your host of Family Theater tonight. I want to welcome all of our new listeners and say thank you to all of the old friends whose loyalty and word-of-mouth enthusiasm for our program and its purposes have helped us to grow tremendously. Family Theater, as you know, is dedicated to a purpose, a purpose no one can quarrel with, a happy family. We number quite a few million now, and that's an encouraging note. It means that all of you join with us in the belief that a happy family is not only our most precious possession, but is also the very foundation of the peace and understanding which is needed in the community, the nation, and the world today. We also share the simple conviction that prayer, family prayer, can help keep our families well and happy, can help keep our homes together. For a family that prays together stays together. And now it's time for our play. Tonight, Family Theater presents an original story entitled A Bunch of Keys, written by Bud Lesser and starring two of your favorites, Lee Bowman and Frank McHugh. I'm the proprietor of the only decent eating place in Barston. So naturally, I know most everyone in town. Oh, a few people try Miss Madigan's once in a while. But they get tired of the tea room whipped cream goo. So they come back to Jimmy. That's me. 
Oh, you wanted to know about Joel Hammond. Well, it's an interesting story. I can't tell you the ending because the ending hasn't been lived yet. But I can tell you quite a bit about the beginning. It was one of those warm spring mornings that makes you glad you're alive. Only the down and outer who stood in front of my place wasn't interested in the weather, or life, or anything, but the aroma of the coffee I was making. I was about to go out and tell him to come in and have a cup on the management when that Louise McGowan came along. You know, that cute little girl with the big eyes. She had her head buried in the morning paper as she rounded the corner. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't see you. I guess I... Uh, that's, that's all right. You don't weigh very much. Oh, I guess that's because I dash around so much. Oh. Is uh, Jimmy's open? Yeah. Can't you smell the coffee? Mm, yeah. And I do need a cup. Well, sorry I charged into you. I'll be sick. Hey, uh, wouldn't you like a cup of coffee? Uh, thanks. Uh, but uh, I just uh, just had one down the block aways. There isn't any restaurant down the block aways. Oh, come on. I do owe you a cup of coffee at least. Why, you could sue me for dangerous walking. Come on now. I've been down on my luck, too. I tell you what, you can sit at the other end of the counter if I'm not your type. I'd love a cup of coffee. And I'd like to sit beside you, if you don't mind. I haven't talked to anyone in almost a week. Good morning, Louise. Hi, Jimmy. I brought you another customer. You know, you should be paying me commission. Uh, let's see. Orange juice, toast, and coffee for me. And you'll have the same, plus some ham and eggs. Double order. I, I, I really shouldn't Look, let's, let... Uh, let's sit in the booth. We'll have more room to spread out the paper in case we want to read. But they didn't want to read. Either of them. Louise is the sort who likes to know what makes people tick. And to tell you the truth, I was pretty curious about this stranger myself. You could see he hadn't been a bum for too long. And I sort of took my time getting their breakfast ready. And when I finally got back to the booth, he was talking. Opening up like a man who's lived with himself too long. Then as he poured out his heart, my little beanery became the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Things were popping on the exchange that afternoon he was telling about. It was a frenzy of buying and selling. Joel Hammond stood by his post, tossing his bunch of keys into the air and catching them again as they thudded against the heel of his hands. This key business used to serve as a sort of a barometer. And some of the other traders used it in buying and selling. But that day, the keys went up and down at a mile-a-minute clip. The wise boys knew there was trouble in the air. This is Hammond. Put me through to my office, please. Harry, it's taken another tumble. I'll need some help. Nope, the bottom's out of industrial, too. I'll have to call on Lester and you, too. Oh? Oh, I see. Of course I understand. Hammond again. Will you get my fiancé for me on the phone? It's Plaza 3... Yeah, that's right. Three more points. Hello? Hello? May I speak to Miss Richmond, please? Oh, Violet. I didn't recognize your voice. Uh, Violet, things have gone a little sour here. I'm afraid I'll have to borrow those bonds I gave you last week to hold for me. No, no, not yet. But if I can't raise some big money in a hurry... Oh, oh, I see. That wouldn't be convenient for me to be washed up either. Well, it's, it's nice to know the score, Violet. Never mind, then. 
Have a nice time at the party, dear. Alex! Alex, uh, I won't be needing this key. Will you see that it's turned in at the exchange office? Here, for your trouble. I'm not that broke. Oh, uh, Miss Emerson. Yes? Is Mr. Finch around? Oh, no, Mr. Hammond. He left the office. They've all gone. I, I could have guessed it. Miss Emerson, I, uh, I won't be around for a while. Someone might like an extra key. The cleaning woman, maybe. Here. A bunch of keys were still being tossed in the air as Joel took the elevator. Down. And he walked out of the office building. For the last time. When Joel arrived at the Lido Club to clean out his locker, he found the usual assortment of slacks and sweaters and gadgets in addition to his golf clubs. Things you might find in any locker in any given club. But they represented something very real to Joel Hammond. They represented his acceptance. His reputation on the street was enough to get him by at the Lido Club, but... The camaraderie of the 19th hole was over now. Oh, Joe. Uh, Joel, glad I saw you. I was going to phone. Afraid our foursome's off for the weekend. Oh? Oh, that's too bad. Yes, I have a client coming in from out of town, and, well, I promised him a game when he got here. Fred and Sam will want to come along, I know. He's a fraternity brother. That's all right, Art. I think I may be out of town anyway. I wanted to talk to you about something, though. Sorry, Joel. The gang's waiting for me on the first tee. Could we talk it over the first of the week or sometime? You don't have to worry, Art. I just wanted to give you that iron you always had a hankering for. Oh, thanks. But uh, just by luck, I stumbled across one at Spaulding's yesterday. Almost exactly like it. Uh, thanks awfully, awfully, though. Uh, be seeing you. <laughs> The habits of years are not easily broken. Joel went out of the clubhouse tossing his bunch of keys into the air, apparently unmindful of the fact that the bunch had been reduced from six to two in a few hectic hours. And all you have to say to me is that you're busy tonight and you'd like to talk it over in the morning? Oh, I'm really frightfully sorry, Joel. I, I made the date with the Creightons ages ago. Oh, you're usually busy on Thursday nights and... I know you can't abide the Creightons, I've so managed I... to survive several evenings with them over the past few years. All right, then, Joel. If you won't let me be nice about it, the Creightons wouldn't welcome you. Everyone in my circle knows by this time that you were washed up this afternoon. Now they're saying, what could Violet Richmond ever seen in that big farmer with the loud suits? Violet, I got rid of the suits you didn't like three weeks after we met. And I got rid of that loud car you didn't like this afternoon. That too, Joel. Oh, I'm really sorry. Sorry enough to marry me and go away somewhere? Make a new start? Let's not make a scene, Joel. Oh, there were times when I thought we you might... You had money and I was willing to help you spend it. <laughs> but you're still a Horatio Alger farm boy under that pinstripe. And if I wouldn't marry you then, I certainly wouldn't now. Well, there's no denying your honesty. I'm sorry I held you up. I'm going up to the lodge until I can figure this all out. And, uh, oh yes, give the Creightons my love. <laughs> Joe Hammond left for New England the next day. All that was left of the past hung on his keychain. It was the key that opened his country lodge. The big rambling place came alive as Louise made Joel tell her about it between mouthfuls of ham and eggs. 
and you could hear something of how he died there, a little at a time. I didn't do much of anything there, but I kept telling myself that this was what I needed. Mm. Long walks, hours in front of the fireplace, an occasional trip to the village for food. You uh, cooked it yourself? Oh, I let the caretaker go the first day. It took almost my last dollar to pay him off. Oh, and after that you were completely alone? For a month. Uh, maybe more. I didn't keep track of the time. I slept a lot. When I slept, I didn't think so much. And uh, then I had a visitor. Oh? He brought me a letter, a letter about an engagement present. Who was the letter from? Well, it was signed by a lawyer, but it was really from Violet. It tied the pink ribbon on the whole situation. I see. She wanted something, but you had nothing left, huh? Just the lodge. I still have the letter. Right here. It makes nice reading. This communication will serve to inform you that the country lodge now being occupied by you was purchased in 1943 and, in accordance with your instructions, was registered under the name of Miss Violet Richmond. She has informed me that she has sold aforementioned property and since the new owners desire occupancy at an early date... But she sold. couldn't do that. I left that very day. The place held no refuge, no peace for me anymore. could I do? I studied the want ads at night, but no one advertised for an ex-boy wonder of Wall Street. But, Joel, your experience in business must have been worth something. Oh, sure, sure. Talented fourth at golf, second at gin rummy and nightclubbing, desires responsible position where he can lose his employer's money as rapidly as he lost his own. With that attitude, you couldn't possibly get or hold a job. Oh, oh I tried things to build up my morale. Liquor, a book on how to be a success... Copying some of the easy-come-easy-go boys I bumped into in my wanderings. I really tried to shake this thing. But I couldn't. This morning, I've really hit bottom. I'm accepting charity. A handout. And from a woman. Now I've tried everything. No, not everything. Oh, so now I get the lecture. Now I'm told that I needed a good woman. Or religion. Or faith in God. Or something. You filled my belly, and now you can save my soul. You'll get a special merit badge in the Girl Guides. Or you can tell your Sunday school class how you saved the sinner. I'm much too busy to save your soul. Here, Jimmy, I'll be seeing you. Oh, I... I... I I'm sorry. I was very rude, wasn't I? Yes. Yes, you were. But I understand. And you won't rush off for another moment? Oh, I really have to. I... Wanted to get to the office early so I could leave in time to get my apartment cleaned up. Well, well, uh, why, why don't you let me do that? Oh, oh, it would be a way of paying you back for breakfast. Oh, I wouldn't think of letting you. No, no, I, I, I mean it. I'd like to do it. It's more than just paying you back for breakfast. I, I'd like to polish the stove and scrub the floors until they shine. I'd, I'd like to lose myself in a sea of soap suds. I'd like to show you that I could... All right, it's a deal. The apartment is down the side street around the corner. 331 Maple, apartment 30. Oh, uh, here's the key. You can bring it back to Jimmy when you're through. Do you really need a job, fella? I haven't got a nickel. Well, I can use a helper. Could you wash dishes? Maybe do a little light cooking? You know, fry an egg, maybe fill the coffee urns? I think I could. But I've got to clean that young lady's apartment first. I promised her. I could come in late this afternoon. Oh, I don't need you in the afternoons. Suppose you start tomorrow morning. You clean the place up, get the coffee started... Maybe wait on a few early birds before I get here. Oh, you know how those coffee urns work? 
Yeah, I, I watched you through the window this morning. Well, when you're all set. Oh, uh, you'll find a razor and a clean apron in the back room when you get here. You'll be opening up, so you'll need my extra key. Here, catch. Atta boy. Hey, you ought to be playing for the Dodgers. <laughs> He didn't hear my last great witticism. He was looking around the counter for something. He found it at last. A small piece of twine from one of the sugar sacks I'd been emptying. He took his two keys, that's the one to Louise's apartment, the one to my beanery, and he tied them together. He was tossing them up in the air. <laughs> well, he wasn't exactly a personality kid with the customers that first morning. Well, he did his chores well. With a shave and a white apron, he wasn't a bad-looking guy. He seemed to sort of relieve the tension by tossing his two keys in the air. He'd given Louise's key back, of course, but he had a key to a room down the street where he'd gotten on my say-so. And Louise came in to thank him the next day. Morning, Jimmy. Morning, Joel. Good morning, Louise. Hi, Louise. The usual? Huh? The usual. The usual, Joel. Orange juice, toast, and coffee coming up. Uh, is this stool on your station, my good man? I do so like to have my favorite waiter to take care of me. Here you are. I made the coffee. Mmm, smells good. <laughs> you know, I really had time to fix my own breakfast this morning, but... Well, I wanted to come in and thank you for the job you did in my apartment. It hasn't looked like that since I moved in. And where did you find those flowers? Um, oh, they, uh, well, they were growing in that empty lot on the corner. Oh. Well, you're getting better. You have keys. Is that what's done? In a way... And I know that I'm better than I've been in months. But I'm not kidding myself. I know that I won't be, well, back to normal until I have my bunch of keys again. Uh Keys that open the doors to the things I didn't have as a kid. All men are created free and equal, it says here. But they don't stay free and equal. They have to fight for the things that make people say, there goes Joel Hammond. He just bought a home on the Riviera. He's always at first nights and Mondays at the opera, the polo games and the horse shows. I've never seen a play, much less a first night. But I know what you mean. We have fun here in Boston, though. We have two picture houses. Joel and Louise took in both the Orpheum and the Bijou that week. And he continued to work for me. After that tirade the first morning, he seemed to settle down to his new job. Assistant to the owner of a beanery in a one-horse town. And then suddenly, after a few months, he quit. He didn't say why. I didn't ask. But I had an idea. He'd gotten a chance to add another key to his new bunch. Well, here I am, Mr. Bryant. Which is my desk. Your desk? (laughs) The whole shebang is yours. You're the manager. Well, I'm sorry to seem like an ingrate, Mr. Bryant, but uh, this whole thing doesn't make sense. You offer me a job as a real estate salesman at twice what I was getting at Jimmy's and... And now you tell me that I'm the manager of the whole outfit? I liked your manner the first time I laid eyes on you. And I have confidence that you can make money for both of us. The salary is only a starter. All right, all right. Go ahead. I, I need money. I have to have it if I'm going to get where I expect to go. Again. But I have to know the setup. Why did you pick a town like Barston? And what made you select the assistant hash slinger in a lunchroom as your prize salesman? Oh, get off your high horse, Hammond. Uh, Joe... The deal's on the level, but I'm not making any claim to being a philanthropist. I'm a businessman. Yeah, I know you built that swell new house way out near the airport. But you, you wouldn't need a salesman to sell that house in these times. I'm going to build 500 of those houses, Joel, my boy. 
And I'm going to rent them to veterans at low rents. And they'll fill up in a hurry. Well, they sure will. Veterans need homes. But you say you're a businessman. And there isn't much profit in becoming a one-man veterans housing committee. Where's this big profit? <laughs> Gad, you are a suspicious soul. And I'm glad you are. This way you'll be able to answer others when they put these questions. The deal is simple. With 500 new families moving into an undeveloped community... There's a great opening for the local businessmen. The project will need markets and hardware stores, maybe a movie house, even a restaurant, or any number of things. It'll be a little city all by itself. Yeah, where where does the profit come in? I've bought all the property around there. Got it for a song. And we're going to sell it at a very handsome profit. Hmm. Sounds good. Well, where do I fit in? Oh, you've met most of the local businessmen since you've been working at Jimmy's, and, uh, and they like you, according to all I hear. You've got to sell them on the idea of helping us help them make Barston grow. I couldn't do it, and maybe you can't either. <laughs> They're suspicious of anyone who hasn't lived in the town for at least 25 years. Ah, but if you were to sell Jimmy the idea of becoming the president of our community plan, uh, they might go for it, eh? The folks in this town think a lot of him. He gets the credit for providing homes for 500 veterans and a new center for profitable stores, and I sell a lot of land I got cheap at a real profit. I'm figuring you in for half. I bought the first lot As a site from a new restaurant Oh, Joel was busy Talking of the town's big money Almost every night You'd be helping the Veterans Committee and yourself at the same time, Mr. Schmidt They have to have a meat market Jimmy sees things our way, Mr. Gardner, and there'll be lots of kids who'll need new shoes in the new project. Yeah. Yeah, Jimmy. Jimmy bought the first lot. But we'll need a drugstore, too, Mr. Skinner. I don't think the soda fountain will hurt Jimmy's business too much. A furniture store? Should do well, Mr. Levy. You'll also be giving the vets a hand in building up the community. By the end of November, the project was really set. I'd started building, so had half a dozen others. Aside from that imposing first sample house, things were going slowly across the boulevard from the store property. Oh, we knew it was tough to get enough material for 500 homes, and Brian kept running down to the city in quest of building material. Oh, Joel was as busy as a bee. Naturally, he didn't have a great deal of time for Louise, but he certainly never looked at another girl in town. No, sir. Louise was for him, all right. Oh, gee, it's good to see you smiling, Joel. I'm glad the project's really going over. Even if it has meant that I haven't seen so much of you lately. Well, it's, it's just about wound up now. And when the last deal's made, I kiss little old Boston goodbye. Oh. <laughs> Baby, don't look like that. When I leave here, I want you with me. As my wife. I'm going to take the money I made here, and I'm going to hit the street again. And I'll hold on to it this time. And you'll have everything you ever wanted. A big house. Servants. A limousine a block and a half long. A home on the Riviera. First nights at the theater. Yes, Louise. No, Joel. No, those are the things you want. Everyone wants those things. That's what we all work for. What else is there? The things your New York friends would probably call corny. The respect and friendship of your neighbors. People like Jimmy. The peace and self-understanding that can come only through simple prayer. A love for each other that doesn't depend on cars and mansions. Louise, 
Louise, you don't understand. You know, I thought at first you were finding your way to these things. But you aren't working for the veterans store. You're working for money. You want to get back to Wall Street. You want revenge. I knew there was something wrong. They stopped seeing each other. And Joel went ahead with his recreational center deal as though it were the only thing in the world that mattered. I found out later that he was planning on spending Christmas in New York. It was the day before Christmas when he finally closed the sale. Here it is, Mr. Bryant. Cash on the line for the last piece of property. And I've got all the rest of the money here. We've split two ways, like I said. Cash on the line. That's Bryant's. Thanks, Mr. Bryant. You won't be needing me here anymore, so I'm leaving for New York tonight. I wish you luck with the project. <laughs> Are you kidding? I'll be on the same train. Oh, swell. Going to spend the holidays in the big town? Oh, I'll spend more than that, I guess. Easy come, easy go. If I never see this burg again, it'll be okay with me. Oh, but the houses. You can't mean that. I'm not putting up any houses in this one-horse town. I got my profit. Let Jimmy and his pals build the homes if they want them. Oh, Bryant, that's fraud. You can't get oh, away. Oh, take it easy, Hammond. We're within our legal rights. I've sold property that belonged to me. I just happened to change my mind about the veterans' homes. I found out that material was too tough to get or something. You can't do that to the people here, to the veterans. Oh, now, don't pull any hero stuff on me. You pulled plenty of shenanigans when you were on Wall Street. Oh, yeah. I knew who you were when I saw you working in that beanery. And I wasn't kidding you any either. You knew what we were doing. I didn't know. But everyone here will think I did. Ah, but you won't be here. Oh, yes, I will. I decided to stay in Boston. I'm going to face this thing out. And you're staying here too, Brian. Now, listen, Hammond, you got a safe out. Look, no one's going to blame you for all this. Jimmy's the president of the Boston Helps Our Veterans Committee. He thought up that swell-sounding title. He was the one who vouched for the outfit. He was the one who got the town council to put the official stamp on it. Let him take the rap. Why, <laughs> you dirty chiseler. <laughs> You, you can't get away with this, you, you cheap hero. Hand over that cash, Bryant. Thanks. That money is going into the bank tonight. It's going to be used to build these homes. You'll get your share of the rents whether you stick around or go. Frankly, I don't care what you do. Merry Christmas, Mr. Bryant. Evening, Jimmy. Hi, Joe. Hi. What happened? I had a fight with my conscience. Do I look all right, Jimmy? You look better than I've ever seen you look before, Joe. I, uh, I went to Louise's before I came here. She isn't home. You wouldn't know where I could find her, would you? Christmas Eve? She's probably in church. Thanks, Jimmy. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Hey, look, if you aren't doing anything tomorrow... See you later, Jimmy. I'm here to stay. I, I found out that, oh, that all those things I thought I wanted again. Just, just hold my hand, darling. Services. And Christmas has, for too long, represented material things to many. Our lives are enriched not by presents nor possessions, but by a full understanding of our own souls and of the real values of this world. If you have this understanding you'll have no difficulty finding the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Merry Christmas and God bless you.
This is George Murphy again, and I know I'm speaking for all of you when I express my thanks to Lee Bowman and Frank McHugh for telling us the story of A Bunch of Keys, a story which seems to prove that the key to happiness is not always made of metal. You know, every one of you listening in has a story of your own, one that's still being written, the story of your life. And the wonderful stories, those you can be proud of, are probably not at all unusual. They're about a boy and a girl who got married, stayed married, and raised a happy family. Now, if that's your story, you're pretty lucky, and you know it. Because keeping a family together and happy isn't always easy. Raising kids the right way isn't always easy. But then, anyone in his right mind knows that nothing worth having comes easy. Keeping a family together and happy is an uphill fight. Problems all the way. Granted. But remember, you don't have to climb that hill by yourself. Have you ever thought of asking for help? Ask God's help. Ask and ye shall receive. You know that. No family is so self-sufficient that it can ignore God. There's no problem so big that it can't be solved with God's help. So pray. Pray together with your family. Thank God for what you have and ask him for what you need. Do that and you take the biggest step you've ever taken towards one of the most wonderful things in life, a happy family. Before saying goodnight, I want to express our thanks to all of you who have helped make this program possible. Thanks also to Mel Williamson for directing our play tonight and to our producer, Bob Longnecker. Next week, our stars on the Family Theater will be Mr. Charles Boyer and Miss Ethel Barrymore and the Mitchell Boys Choir in a special Easter week show. Now, this is George Murphy saying goodnight. This series of the Family Theater broadcast is made possible by the thousands of you who felt the need for this kind of program, by the mutual network which has responded to this need, and by the actors and technicians in the motion picture and radio industries who have volunteered their services to fulfill it. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. everybody it's now strawberry and whipped cream time i want you to buzz on over to my table here in tennessee and 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 have your sunday and the strawberry and whipped cream on top this time is going to be burns and allen whom i love and whom i had a request for anyway this show that i've picked out it's uh it features gracie she's nutty as ever and um, it's called Till the Cows Come Home. Hello, my friends. The Heinz Honey and Almond Cream Program. Vote for Gracie. 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 Starring George Burns and Heinz Honey, Gracie Allen, with Frank Parker, Ray Noble and his orchestra, and Truman Bradley speaking. Our hearts are near you strong. That's right, you can't go wrong. Vote for Gracie. She's holding.
Thank you very much. Hello. How's your campaign coming along? Oh, fine. Only I've been getting a little impatient with Congress. Impatient with Congress? Yeah, where did they come off passing a law that you can only spend $3 million for your campaign fund? Oh, yes. I saw that on the front page this morning. Did you see the second page? Uh-huh. How did Dick Tracy make out? He escaped again. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, $3 million for a campaign fund. Well, where can you go on that? Why, they spend more than that to run the government. Chrissy, stop worrying. The Republicans and the Democrats are limited to $3 million, too. Yeah, but does Jim Farley have to spend $17 for a permanent? Well, I, I wouldn't know. And does Mr. Garner have to pay $10 for a snood? Well, you've got me. You've got yeah. me. And does John L. Lewis have to spend $3 to have his eyebrows plucked? Well, you've got me. I really wouldn't Do you know what's wrong with this program? You've got me. You guessed it. <laughs> You were tricked in... I was tricked into that. <laughs> <laughs> Three million dollars, Gracie, is enough to run any campaign. Oh, yeah? Why, the last convention I went to, I wasn't even running, and it cost me $10,000 for tips. $10,000 for tips? Well, it was a Shriners convention, and I thought there were red caps. <laughs> well, I'll bet was that... Were their feathers red? I'll bet. And a bad joke, <laughs> Gracie... Exactly how much money have you got in this campaign fund of yours? Oh, I've been getting checks from all over the country. Really? How much have you got? Oh, let me see now. Eight from Boston, 15 from Chicago. Well, how much have you got all together? And um, ten from Omaha, 18 from Philadelphia, one from East Philadelphia. How much have you got, Chrissy? 30 from New York, none from Brooklyn, hmm. and three from Akron. How much have you got? That's... Well, all together, I've got about 190 checks. Well, that's a lot of money. Oh, well, it would even be more if they were signed. <laughs> What, what do good are unsigned checks? Oh, they'll be signed. They will, huh? Oh, my brother's home working on them right now. <laughs> you haven't got a dime and you're upset about millions. Oh, huh? well, sure I'm upset. The government says that they'll allow you $3 million for a campaign fund, and so far they haven't sent me a nickel. Gracie, I'll explain it. So you'll understand it. Yes. <clears throat> when, when they say that they allow you $3 million, they don't mean that they allow you $3 million. They mean you're allowed to have it if you have $3 million. You feel all right, Daddy? Quiet, Parker. Hello, Pinky. Hello. Say, Prez, I saw you at the Hollywood ballpark the other day, throwing out the first ball. Oh, did you? Yes, yeah. Gracie, I heard you open the Pacific Coast season. Oh, yeah, and was I excited. Really? There I was with a hamburger in one hand and a baseball in the other, and I didn't know which one to throw. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what'd you do? Oh, what did I do? What could I do? After I'd eaten the baseball, I had to throw out the hamburger. What's <laughs> that? What's that? Tell me, was the catcher mad? Oh, was he? He held the game up for 20 minutes. 20 minutes? Well, yes, it's hard to eat a hamburger through a mat. Oh, yes. Those things get in your eyes. Yes. Did you enjoy the game, Frank? Oh, yes, I had a swell seat. Johnny Weissmuller couldn't go, so he gave me his seat. Oh, where was it? Up in the tree. <laughs> Must have been very uncomfortable. No, I was sitting on a bird's nest. Sitting on a bird's nest? Yeah, one of them bit me in the second inning. Mm. <laughs> oh, George. Oh, the bird died. George, uh, certainly were a lot of celebrities at the ball game. Robert Taylor was in a box, and George Rath was in another box, and I had the box of honor. Box of honor? Yeah, it was full of cracker jacks. Full of cracker jacks. The kind that had those little prizes in them. Yes, one had a little tin whistle, and oh, it was delicious. Delicious? You said it. Oh, mm. <laughs> You can also whistle for your campaign fund, too. Oh, don't worry about me. I'll get the $3 million, even if I have to accept it from strangers. Strangers, huh? Gracie, it's very simple. Just go to one of those loan companies that advertise on the radio. 
They'll loan you three millions and no questions asked. Oh, well, that's wonderful. I wonder how much interest they'll pay me. Well, my trumpet player is thinking of going down there to get some money. Well, maybe he's maybe he's got collateral. No, he's got asthma, but you can't hear it when he's playing trumpet. <laughs> well, on him it looks good. Maybe I can get my campaign money from your fans, George. Three million dollars from my fans? Well, that's not very much. It's only a million dollars apiece. And I thought I had four fans. You lost one. Singing ain't misbehaving. Yeah, remember? Sing it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Say, Gracie, I'll tell you how to raise the money for your campaign fund. You know, when you use the dollar bottle of Heinz Honey and Almond Cream, you save a lot of money. Uh-huh. So you get 10 million people in your party using it, and at the end of the week, you know what you've got? What? Soft, Soft white hands. hands. I yes. thought so, yeah. <laughs> I don't know about your party, but it'll certainly keep your hands out of the red. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, George. George, did you know that Sally Rand is campaigning for me? Sally Rand? Well, you should have heard her the other night making a speech. She got up and she said, my fans, and you are my fans. Oh, your fans. Yes. Yes. Well, that covers everything. I said, well, does it? <laughs> I say, Grace, if you went around barefooted, you wouldn't have all these financial troubles. Barefooted? Oh, rather. I read where John D. Rockefeller started out as a barefoot boy, and he wound up with hundreds of millions. Yes. But he had a few oil projects on the side. Well, with all that money, he could have gone to a doctor and had them removed. <laughs> Probably wouldn't hurt a bit. Uh... Well, anyway, I'm not going to worry about it. If I can't get $3 million for my campaign fund, I'll just have to get along in $2.5 million. Yeah, just rough it a little bit. Yeah. Yes. Say, Gracie, when you get to the White House, what are you going to do with your family? Well, my little nephew can stay in the Library of Congress. Uh-huh. And my uncle will live at the Smithsonian Institute. Nice and, oh, I know my brother will just love the men. Mm. And my sister... Your uncle in the Smithsonian yes. Institute? Yes. And my sister... That's, that's a museum. Well, that'll be a nice change for my uncle. You see, for the past seven years, he's been living in a broom closet. In a, in a broom closet? Yeah, but three years ago, he came out to make a personal appearance on We the People. I see. And went right back into, into the, the broom, broom closet, closet. Yes, yes. yes. You know, a very funny thing happened to me in Washington. I went to a very swanky affair, and I had one of those red, green, and yellow diplomatic sashes across my chest, and they kept calling on me to make a speech. Well, why didn't you make a speech? Uh, because I'm not a diplomat. Well, then why didn't you take off the sash? I couldn't. It was hauling up my pants. <laughs> and then it wouldn't look very nice for a diplomat to be without his portfolio. <laughs> oh, my, uh, my uncle it would. Oh, yes. The one that lived in the broom closet. Yeah, yes. with the vacuum cleaner. With a vacuum cleaner? Yeah, he's a Hoover man. Oh, he is. Uh... <laughs> well, can you beat that? They say some of the new Paris dresses have skirts padded with cushions of horsehair. Well, I hope they're not as scratchy as those old-fashioned horsehair sofas. Horsehair furniture feels like chapped sandpapery hands, so rasping and unpleasant to touch. Now, if your hands are rough and chapped this minute, be sure to use Heinz Honey and Almond Cream before you go to bed tonight. Heinz is extra creamy, extra softening, and contains two vitamins, A and D. Every drop of this grand, creamy emulsion helps coax a beautiful smoothness back to your poor chapped hands. Thousands of women who use Heinz regularly boast about having soft, smooth hands in spite of doing their own housework. Heinz is good for children's hands and faces and legs, too. Their tender skin gets chapped so easily, you know, in raw wind. So give their hands the creamy comfort of Heinz the moment they come indoors. You can get Heinz Honey and Almond Cream at the nearest toilet goods counter in 10, 25, 50 cent and dollar sizes. Remember, it's Heinz, spelled H-I-N-D-S, for softer, smoother hands. Now, Frank Parker. Thanks, Drew. Tonight I'm going to sing a song that's an oldie, but a goodie. 
Back in 1931, Gus Arnheim wrote a beautiful song entitled Sweet and Lovely. Remember? There's sweetness in the call of the woodlands of as his love song echoes through the trees. There's sweetness in the rose with its symbol of love floating on a summer breeze. But nothing can compare to the sweetness of the one and only one I know. Sweet and lovely, sweeter than the roses in May. Sweet and lovely, heaven must have sent her my way. number was for Sam and Edna, for Harriet, Elsie, and Joe, for Mabel, Becky, and Agnes, for little Mickey O'Toole, who'll be two years old next February, and for the girls in the pool room. <laughs> you too can have a new spring outfit like Smiling Frankie Parker is wearing. Complete with hat, suit, overcoat, shoes, three pairs of socks, double-breasted undershirt and watch, all for three eighty-five. dollars <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yes, sir. George. Hey, yeah. George. Who's the man Gracie's talking to over there? I don't know. She's probably trying to get $3 million for a campaign fund. Hey, it sounds like that, doesn't it? Well, Miss Allen, I don't think I'll have any trouble raising it. I've raised it before, and I don't see why I can't do it again. Well, how long do you think it'll take? Well, it all depends on a lot of things. I'll go out and start working on it right oh, now. Oh, good. The sooner you start, the sooner you'll raise it. That's right. Gracie, who's that? The elevator boy. His elevator is stuck in the basement. So was your campaign. Say, Gracie, I typed that speech for you. Thanks, Bubbles. But you know, I had a little trouble with the typewriter. Some of the O's are upside down. Uh, what, uh, what speech? And you'll notice, Gracie, I've got farmers in caps. Farmers in caps? Well, I always thought they wore straw hats. <laughs> Look, uh, don't tell me that you're going to make a speech. Just to the farmers. Mm. Dewey and Garner made a speech to the farmers last week. Oh, copycat. Yeah, they stole the stuff well, they haven't done yet. Now for my speech. Mm. Farmers, farmers' wives, and Sammy Cohn. Sammy Cohn? Yeah. Oh, pardon me, it's semicolon. Well, semicolon. <laughs> that little dark fellow. Yeah, yeah, well, I'll start again. Mm. Farmers, farmers' wives, farmers' sons, farmers' daughters. 
Hired hands and tractor salesmen. What about the boys in the back room? See what they'll have. Truman, see what they'll have. My subject tonight is the care and feeding of farmers and how to cook it. How to cook it? Uh, my opponents have said that they're going to fight me until the cows come home. Oh, so they admit the cows aren't home. Mm. Oh, why aren't the why aren't the cows home? Because they don't like conditions on the farm. The cows are smart. They're not coming home until there's a woman in the White House. I say. Well, how do you think, eh? Uh, what, what I'd like to know is how do you know what the cows think about? Bubbles tells me everything. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so, if you farmers want contented cows, have your wives knit each cow a glove. And in that uh, way, my friend... Uh, one glove for each cow. Well, sure, so that when the cow isn't being milked, it can keep its fingers warm. <laughs> I guess uh, you you fingered that out by yourself. Oh, <laughs> how do you like that, Frank? Cocktails for two. Cocktails for two? Yeah, it's drink. It does, um. <laughs> so, my friends... Gracie, when you're through, can my drummer have a copy of your speech? He's a farmer, you know. Why didn't he listen to it? Oh, he can't right now. He's reading Rebecca. Well, have him read it out loud. It'll help the farmers more than the speech. Oh, right. So, right, my right. friends, what the American farm needs is the touch of a woman's hand. Therefore... I say the hand that rocks the cradle should pull the plow. That's what you say. Yes. Friends, it's women who have made history. You said it. Yes. When Romeo drank the poison, who got the nickel back on the bottle? Jack Bennett? No. No, I'm wrong. No. After Julius Caesar was stabbed, who donned up the holes in his sweater? Mm. Mary Livingston. No. I'm wrong again. When Paris gave Helen of Troy a wooden horse, who put two dollars out its nose? Bing Crosby. No. Wrong again. When Napoleon was losing at Waterloo, who was Josephine playing rummy with? Well, who? Who? Oh, don't ask me. Write to your congressman. I say. <laughs> well, what are you trying to prove? That women should run the farm? Well, the least they could do is have scarecrows wear dresses instead of pants. Oh, that's a nice compromise. Oh, thanks. I got it at Bullock's. Oh, and it's pretty, too, yeah. <laughs> say, Gracie, I think you're overlooking a big point. What the farmers need most is water. Bubbles, make a note of that. All right. Have you forgotten what Secretary of Agriculture Wallace said when he addressed the farmers during the drought? Oh, what did he say? Greetings, Gate. Let's irrigate. <laughs> now, that's uh, that's what Hootie keeps telling him down at the office when he ain't neat. So, my friends, I could point out several things that are wrong with farm conditions, but it isn't polite to point. Yes, so you won't. The trouble with farms today is they're overcrowded. Asparagus only has standing room. And mushrooms are living in cellar. Yes. I thought so, yeah. Gracie, my drummer won't be able to let his wife run his farm. Why not? Well, she ran away with a hired man about a week ago. Oh, that's awful. Oh, it's even worse than that, Grace. The hired man is the only one that can run the threshing machine. Well, what's the drummer? What's your drummer going to do about it? Oh, not a thing until he finishes reading Rebecca. Oh, now, please, boys. The farmers are waiting for the finish of my speech. So are we. Friends, the following are a number of things that women will do for the farm. Number one, we'll put a chalk mark in every chicken coop. A Number chalk two. Chalk mark in every chicken coop? So the hen can lay it on the line. Uh, really? Down wide of them. Say, Gracie, why don't you have milking stools with rumble seats so that the cows can sit down, too? Cows can sit down? <clears throat> Bubbles pull up a chair. <laughs> like that from Frank? Dodo bird. Dodo bird? Extinct. It did, uh. Gracie, your speech. Oh, um, number three. Bustles for farmers' wives. Wait a minute. What's that? Who's that? Oh, that's my drummer who's been reading Rebecca. Oh, and he just found out about his wife running away, huh? Oh, no, no. What's he crying about? Oh, the book has a sad ending. <laughs> uh, Grace, say your speech, please. Uh, well, number three, Bustles for Farmer's Wives. 
so that they can be well-dressed and have something to carry the coal in at the same time. What for? Two and two. Oh, I was thought it was three and one. Oh, well, you say. I'm wrong. And in conclusion, my farmer friends, it has always been my custom to leave my audience in a good mood. So, Gracie, 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 what's that? I'm leaving in a good mood. I say, what? George has been trying to convince Gracie that the public thinks her presidential campaign is silly. So we've got a microphone out in front of the studio, and we're about to interview the man in the street. Now, step back, ladies and gentlemen. Will you step back and give it to me? Hi, everybody. What's your name, mister? Uh, who, me? No, no, you. My name is Benny V. Rubin. Oh, what does the V stand for? Volter. A hot Volta or cold Volta? Please, George. Uh, mister, oh, who do you think will be the next president? Why change? Isn't McKinley doing a good job? Volta probably hasn't seen today's paper, Volta. Oh, uh, George, give the gentleman two tickets to Grauman's Chinese and a box of Mars bars. Mm. Gracie, let me ask these questions. Uh, next gentleman, what's your name, mister? Harriet Brown. Um, I'll take care of her, Gracie. Step uh, just away, Frank. Miss, I've been trying to prove a point. 
Have you heard anything about Gracie Allen's campaign for president? Oh, yes, I'm going to vote for her. Oh, George, give the girl two pounds of coffee. Uh, quiet. Um, Miss Brown, do you really think that Gracie Allen has a chance of being elected? Do I? And I bet this girl does, too, don't you, miss? Do I? Oh, I certainly do. Well, this is fine. <laughs> George, give Gracie two pounds of coffee. Quiet, Bubbles. <laughs> hey, uh, here's a nice-looking oh, yeah. young man here. Oh, he's pretty hot, too. How do you do? Oh, well, I didn't catch your name, but my name is Gracie Allen. Say, aren't you the girl? Oh, I certainly am. You're not bad yourself. <laughs> Look, uh, Gracie. So where do you live? Uh, in Pasadena, but I... Oh, I'll be glad to, but I have to be home by 12 o'clock. Gracie, let me do the talking. Oh, it's awfully nice of you to say that, mister. George, give the gentleman two pounds of coffee. <laughs> mister, are you a Republican or a Democrat? He is. George, take back the coffee. <laughs> Gracie, we haven't got any coffee. Say, are you nuts? Yes, and I'm his partner, Gracie Allen. <laughs> Stop rubbing it in. Say, Gracie, Gracie, here's a little boy six years old who knows all about your surprise party. You betcha, and I'm going to vote for you, Gracie. Well, thanks, Sonny. Hey, who's that guy oh, over there? George. Oh, I know. That's your party mascot. The party, uh, the party mascot is a kangaroo. Gee whiz, he talks, too. Oh, that's cute. George, give him two pounds of Ovaltine. I'll give him a hot foot in a minute. Imagine mistaking me for a kangaroo. Well, that's because you've got that cigar stuck in your pouch. Mm. <laughs> there must be one intelligent person in this crowd. Coming, coming. I uh, say, Gracie, <laughs> I couldn't get anybody to be interviewed, but I'll be glad to answer any questions. Oh, good. What's your name? Raymond O. Noble. Well, what does the O stand for? Volta. Volta. <laughs> Can you imagine what I stand for? Yeah. Uh, Mr. Noble, where are you from? Oh, the crowd over there. That's the oh. spot, yeah. Well, now, uh, why do you think I'll be the best president? Well, now, that's a coincidence. You know, I asked myself the same thing the other night. <laughs> and uh, what did you answer yourself? Well, I really don't know. Now that I'm an American, it's very difficult for me to understand an English accent, you know. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Give the gentleman two pounds. Two pounds of what? Two pounds of flesh. He can use it. You said it. <laughs> step aside. One side there. Just step aside there. This way, sweetheart. <laughs> oh, Gracie, uh, here's a young lady from Erie, Pennsylvania. Her name is Florence Gould. Her phone number is Federal uh, 8388. And she's going to vote for you, aren't you, honey? And how? <laughs> Come on, baby. I told you I was going to put you on the radio. <laughs> Frank, where are you going? I'm not to tell you anymore, do I, brother? Oh, go away. Uh, pardon me, Miss Allen. I've noticed you're interviewing a lot of people about your campaign, and I'd like to ask you a few questions. Yes, I would oh, well, all right, but only two at a time. Is your administration going to do away with the New Deal? No, no, I'm going to continue the New Deal. But to make it more exciting, I'm going to have deuces wild. Except, uh, except for pears and flushes. Yes. Yes. How do you feel about the youth movement? Oh, I just love it. Jitterbugging is my favorite stuff. Oh, yes. yes. Are you going to do anything with the SEC, NLRB, WPA, CCC, CIO, or AFL? Oh, no, my good man. I haven't played with blocks since I was a baby. <laughs> oh, Miss Allen, what do you think of the Wagner Act? Oh, well, it's all right, but my favorite act is Olsen and Johnson. <laughs> Have you anything to say about Secretary Hull's reciprocal trade agreement? Well, no, but I'd have plenty to say about it if I knew what it was. <laughs> mm -hmm. Look, uh, let me handle this. Mister, uh, would you step up to the microphone, please? Uh, yes, sir. Are you in favor of the surprise party? Well, my wife says I'm a Republican. Would you elect a woman to the presidency? 
I'll have to ask my wife. Well, do you think a woman president would be better than a man president? I've never heard my wife say. Your wife? Haven't you got a mind of your own? Yes, sir. Well, where is it? Standing over there in the blue dress. Oh. <laughs> oh, George, I'll interview his wife. That's a swell idea, Gracie. And say, ask her about iron pay, honey, hay, and omde eam cray, will Oh, you? yes. Uh, madam, madam, I've been admiring your beautiful hands. What makes them so soft and smooth? My husband does all the housework. Oh. <laughs> George... George, give the man two pounds of soap chips in a dish bag. Well, 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 well. here's a nice-looking gentleman. Oh, no, 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 no. You, you. Where were you from? Well, I travel a lot, Missy. As a matter of fact, I just come from Omaha. Oh, that's where we're holding our surprise party convention. Oh, yes. My niece wrote me all about it. Oh, did she? It's going to be held May 15th, 16th, 17th, and 18th. That's right. They're running a special Union Pacific train to take the party from Los Angeles to Omaha. Mm-hmm. They're going to have torchlight parades and 25,000 men are raising whiskers. Well, your niece certainly must be a smart girl. She is. And so are her sisters, Bessie, Hazel, and Pearl. Yeah, Bessie, Hazel, and why, Uncle Charlie! Oh, <laughs> and now, Truman Bradley, the Heinz handyman. Gracie wants to send you a copy of her campaign song, Vote for Gracie. Yes, you get the sheet music, complete with the verses and a big picture of Gracie right on the cover, wearing her campaign hat. Now, here's all you have to do to get the song. Just write your name and address clearly on the back of a Heinz Honey and Almond Cream carton and mail it to Gracie Ellen, Hollywood, California. It's okay to send just one Heinz carton in the 25-cent size, the 50-cent size, or the dollar size. But if you use the 10-cent size, be sure to send two cartons. Every time you use Heinz on your hands, Notice how much softer and smoother your skin looks. Isn't it amazing the way Heinz lotion makes chapped rough housework hands look smoother and prettier right away? Of course, it's not amazing in another way, because Heinz is really extra creamy, extra softening, and contains two vitamins, A and D. You expect Heinz to be good? Take good care of your hands with Heinz honey and almond cream and make good use of your Heinz carton. Mail it with your name and address to Gracie Allen, Hollywood, California. And you get in return an actual copy of her campaign song, Vote for Gracie. Remember, one carton in any larger size will do, but if you use the 10-cent size, then send two cartons. Here's the address again. Gracie Allen, Hollywood, California. Thank you, True. And now Gracie will sing Pizzicato Porca. Sing it. The Pizzicato Porca is the thrill. It stirred me once, I know it all the thrill. They played the polka for us long ago. And since that time, as you must surely know, I do adore you so. Indeed, the dear old polka that we knew affects me still in all the things I do. And so the pizzicata is a sort of obligata to the feeling that I've got to be with you. I'm absolutely certain you'll agree with me completely. When I say that life is gay and more romantic day by day because you see... The polka drew us closer at the start And helped to make it so we'd never part My love may be staccato, but it's never moderato With a pizzicato polka in my heart Is it legato to steal my heart And make me blush like a tomato? If I look grotto, what does it matter When you are so appassionato? My love is a crescendo It will never end, oh Please pretend all that you care. 
choice of two Heinz preparations for your hands. One is the famous Heinz lotion that pours from the bottle. The other is the brand new, brand new Heinz hand cream in jars. Like the famous lotion itself, this new Heinz hand cream helps to give you nice, soft hands in spite of housework. It's surprisingly inexpensive, too. Only 10 cents and 39 cents a jar. Well, Gracie, say goodnight. Oh, good night. Oh, and when I'm in Washington, don't forget to drop in for dinner. And if I don't serve the best 60-cent dinner in Washington, may I never see a third term. Good night, all. George and Gracie and all of us will be back again next Wednesday at this same time. Join us, will you? This is Truman Bradley saying good night for Heinz Honey and Almond Cream. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Okay, everybody, uh, it's Monica back with you, and Victor, he's he's here too, somewhere. Somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there he is. Uh, I have so much fun doing this crazy show with him. He just adds life to it. I do? Uh, yeah, you do. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, our closing last time, uh, it didn't come off like I wanted it to. My microphone... <laughs> My microphone uh, got muted, and I was talking up a storm, and nobody was hearing me. And um, and I wasn't hearing anything coming through my headset either. So uh, uh, he saved the day by closing us out. <laughs> and I was still trying to talk after he done closed it out. <laughs> but anyway, um, hope y'all enjoyed the show this afternoon. And uh, if you didn't get to hear it. Uh, you can go back to any of the platforms and hear it again. Um, and we hope to see you next Sunday. Bye for now. Bye-bye, everybody.